Friday, January 12th, and wake up, wake up. It's a wild card wake up, not your average wake up. Damon Bruce, Larry Kruger. Good morning, Lawrence. How are you? Good morning, good morning, good morning. Today is my 54th birthday, and I overslept my alarm. So there you go. Uh, you buried the lead. Oh, well, it's the first thing you said, so I guess you didn't bury the lead. But I had no idea. Happy birthday, my man. There you go. So, uh, you know, what can I say? 54 years to this ago today, I was uh, the great Carol Kruger brought me into this world. She's no longer with us, but I thank her for it. Thank you. Well, absolutely. Oh. We all thank her for it. Happy birthday, my man. I had no idea. Uh, you are certainly a uh, you know productive member of society. So, you know, you're a good human as opposed <laughs> to the bad humans out there. Nice job, Larry, on being a good human. And when it comes to talking about the 49ers and what lies ahead, I don't know if there are any two humans better than the ones that YouTube is looking at right now. So we thank everybody for being here again this morning. It is great to have you here, whether you're watching us live or a little bit later on today throughout the wildcard weekend, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Memberships are available, but all memberships should go to Larry on his birthday today. Let's say all memberships <laughs> go to Larry Kruger on his birthday today. I mean it from the bottom of my heart, man. Happy, happy birthday. You've been, thank a, you, man. Thank you, man. A, appreciate you. You've been a big part of my career up to this point. And this year you've played your largest role in my career uh, coming over here. So uh, you, you've been a, a little bit of a birthday gift to me all year, man. So uh, how about this? For your birthday, Larry, 30 days from now, I really hope you get a Super Bowl. And that's where we are. We are 30 days away from the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. And we both know how crucial it is that the 49ers are in that football game. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, I don't know if people can tell, but man, I really, really want this. Um, and it's, it's not that, you know, it's like, you know, you, you cover sports for a living, you grow kind of a little bit out of your fandom and, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a Giants fan. I'm a Warriors fan. Um, but, um, I'm, you know, I'm also a lifelong Niners fan and we've been kind of grinding this thing. And, you know, it's like, it's one thing if you're like a warrior, like I was a Warriors fan forever, but it, the years went by fast because they never really had a shot. Um, I'm a Giants fan, but you know what? The years go by because it's like, you know what? I The, the MLB is kind of a stack cards game. Um, I, I don't expect the Giants to win, despite the fact they've won three in my lifetime now. Right, and, and, oh. and baseball's romantic. You can still have romance with baseball in losing years. I grew up a Cubs fan. I know all about it. Right, exactly. And it's like baseball. What is baseball? Baseball is getting a chance to sit outside in nice weather and listen on the radio as you're driving to your vacation destination or mow the lawn or wash the car or at the little kid that your kids game and you got your multitasking. So baseball is like a companion all summer, but football is like, you, you know, you, and especially the Niners, we, you and I sat next to each other in the Super Bowl in New Orleans and I wanted it badly then. And then, you know, we'd never experienced Super Bowl defeat. And then all of a sudden, there it was. Uh, Harbaugh gagged it away. And then it's like, okay, a couple of years later, here they are again, Shanahan and Lynch, and they got the Chiefs, and they're up 10 in the fourth. And you're like, you know what? They got this one. And they didn't have that one. Mahomes and Reed got that one. And so ever since, there's been this, like, Niners have got to get it done, this incredible focus and scrutiny. And you know, one year they got 20 guys on the injured reserve. Um, one year they're losing to the Rams in the NFC championship game. They never, never quite had the quarterback. 
Now they've got the head coach. Now they've got the quarterback. Now they've got the defense. Now they've got the buy. Now they've got the health. Everything's aligned, and it's got to happen. And I'm starting to feel a lot of that same pressure that I'm sure the players are feeling. And I asked Kittle about it yesterday. I said, hey, George, is there some urgency? I mean, you're 30 now. And do you feel that urgency to get it done? And he he was like, you know, I've, I felt the urgency since uh, since Miami, since the 2019 season. And I, I totally, um, I totally agree with him. I, I, I have felt that exact urgency since that 2019 season. Shanahan and Lynch are the right combo. They finally got that right. And they've been knocking at the freaking door. Well, you know, the old bum Phillips line last year, we knocked at the door this time. It's time to kick that MF in. And, um, that's how I feel about this year's playoff run. It is time. And if they don't win in the NFC playoffs, there's going to be a lot of criticism. Not just from guys like myself, but everybody, the fans, other content creators, the media, um, the Niners. The hardest thing to do in life, Damon, is what you're expected to do. And the Niners are expected to win in the NFC playoffs. If they lose to the Ravens or a red hot Bills team or somebody else in the Super Bowl, I mean, we're all going to be pissed and disappointed. But if they don't get to the Super Bowl and they get beat by, you know, the Rams, or they don't get to the Super Bowl and somehow Tampa takes them out or Detroit or an upstart young Green Bay team, there's going to be a lot of anger and a lot of uh, frustration. And so it's elation or devastation. And you just got to embrace it. And I think they have. And bring it on. I can't wait. This is going to be the most enjoyable weekend, though, because you know your team's in. You know your team's in the driver's seat, and you just get to sit back this weekend and just watch it all unfold and scout these teams and check out who's really got the momentum and who doesn't. And uh, as as Fred Warner told us yesterday, I hope everybody loses. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you rooting for this weekend? I hope everybody loses. That's a very linebacker way to answer that question. He's not happy for victory. He only wants a defeat for his opponents. Look, It is uh, the biggest pressure cooker Kyle Shanahan's entire career could ever be put into in one month. And he's been in this pressure cooker before, but again, the ingredients weren't the same, Larry. As you pointed out, all the stars have aligned. All the stars that could possibly align on the way to trying to win a Super Bowl for a team that's supposed to. A not ahead of schedule team, but a team that has literally knocked on that door so many years in a row. Um, you know, the, the amount of NFC title games that Kyle Shanahan has been in with no Super Bowl ring to show for it officially becomes embarrassing if it gets, you know, if, if that's the way it plays out again. But get to the Super Bowl. And then I think we'll all realize any rational person would have to say, hey, any any one football game is hard to win. But we do expect them to win, too, before they get to that game. And it's because of who they are, what they've accomplished, how they're built, how they've prepared, how good Kyle is at all this. And honestly, you know, Larry, this is something that you and I have talked about, that it's a little bit of a down year for the NFC. That'll be a criticism. Well, the Niners won it all, and it was a down year for the NFC. If we're being completely honest, it is a scotch of a down year. For the NFC. I mean, I really do think that the Cowboys, you know, I don't want to say they're a toothless two seed because they can absolutely beat anybody in this tournament, but I don't yeah. think they can beat the Niners. And I don't like the nine the Lions to beat the Niners. And I don't like the Eagles, nor do I like the Buccaneers to beat the Niners. Should either one of those teams show up here? I mean, 
two home games before the Super Bowl. Sounds like the Niners need to be in this Super Bowl. And when you think about just the pressure, on, on, like you said, it's it's everywhere. It drips off the walls in that locker room right now. But it's a team that wants it. And I think that that is as big of a difference maker. There are teams that have that pressure fall on them, and it's it makes them uncomfortable. This team is inviting that pressure. They've been here. They want it. They haven't shied from it. And I do think that that goes into the gumbo. No doubt. I mean, um, they you know they're they're they've been close. And you know, here's the thing: 2019, they may have been a little bit of he- ahead of their of their schedule, they right? It was like were. They yeah, I mean, it was year were. three for Shanahan. I think they had gone four and twelve the year prior, right? So nobody was expecting them to win it that year, and they had this incredible turnaround. Um, and then you know they lose to the Rams in the NFC Championship game, and they lose last year to the Eagles. Last year, I thought was the most painful of all, Damon, because and think about it. There is in the playoffs, you either win and you move on and there's elation or you lose and you go home and it's devastation. But last year was the worst of all time because the game was six plays in and the distance between when the game was over and when the clock struck zero was eternal. I mean, and so we had to sit there after all that buildup, knowing that we were not going to win um, for so much of that game, and it was Death so hard. It was Death so by paper cuts. Yeah, it really I mean, it was, was. It was so hard. And, in, and looking back, if I could, if I could just say this, looking back, I kind of wish the Niners had gone to kind of almost like the Philadelphia Eagles tush push, and just hunkered down, put McCaffrey at quarterback, and just tried to push their way to third and short, and then see if Shanahan could could you know d- dial something up instead of leaning on Josh Johnson and and then and then Shanahan you know I hate to say it you know because I really do like Kyle Shanahan but he badly mismanaged that game and and you say well Krug what do you mean exactly well not challenging the play early not being ready to challenge right from the anthem and the challengeable play you never know where it's going to come up it came up super early and so my thought thought was the same as the game. Right. And my thought was the same as everybody else's. Ah, it's too early to waste your challenge, right? And just let the game settle in. But that's not always the way the football gods lay it out there. So they he didn't challenge there. Mistake number one. I don't think it was a mistake to block Hassan Reddick with a with a backup tight end. I think that's Monday morning quarterbacking. But what it was a mistake was when they got the ball back down seven right before halftime, and you've got Josh Johnson there, the 49ers should have embraced a seven-point deficit in that game. Why? Because that means they're one score away from tying the game. And instead, they should have lengthened the game. They should have um, You should have sat on the ball at the end of the first half and hoped that they could lengthen the game and stay within that score. Instead, he felt urgency to score, backed up on his own, you know, whatever, with Josh Johnson, his third-string quarterback, and he put he he you know Johnson throws the pick they turn it over if Eagles go up a touchdown they should have been way more conservative and and um, in that situation with Johnson instead they kind of they were more aggressive at the end of the first half in the NFC Championship game with Josh Johnson than they were the week prior 
with Brock Purdy against the Dallas Cowboys on their home field. They were very conservative against Dallas. They got really aggressive against Philly. Shanahan, I just think, kind of played it wrong. Whatever. They probably weren't going to win anyway. It all leads us to this year. Now is the 49ers' time. And this is not about the Packers are about the future. Detroit's about the future. The Rams are about the future. Uh, the Niners are about the present. Right. And 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 I think that that's going to show itself. Well, and look, the Rams are in, in that envious situation where they're a little bit about the past, too, because they got their Lombardi trophy and that's they do point. have a Super Bowl caliber quarterback and a coach who has done it. And honestly, Kansas City, know, too. Kansas City is more about the past. Larry, I don't know if there is a team that would make the Niners more uncomfortable showing up for the divisional than the Los Angeles Rams. Um, that is going to be a, a huge hurdle in front of this franchise if that's indeed the, the matchup that is served to them. And it is one of the great football weekends out there. I mean, it's a wild card weekend. And like you said, no pressure yet building up on any Niners fans. You just sit back, you watch, and you watch the league come to you. Let's see who is going to show up at Levi Stadium two Sundays from now. Um, or, or what? I guess that game could be on a Saturday. We'll find out when it's all said and done. But it's um, it, it look it it's a tremendous amount of pressure, and it's earned. It's right. I think they're ready for it. And then just the 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 pressure on Kyle alone, as you and I have discussed a couple of times here, the arc of the conversation around that man would change so dramatically. You know, Kyle has you know, reluctant respect of most of the NFL where it would turn from reluctant respect into overwhelming adulation for Kyle Shanahan if he were to get this accomplished this year and put a Lombardi trophy on the shelf. The personal accomplishment, the professional accomplishment, whether or not his dad was or wasn't a head coach doesn't even matter. Like, this is his chosen profession. Then you compound that with the fact that it's the family business and it was his dad's profession. And it's basically Shanahan and son or Shanahan and father in this case, putting together game plans for the 49ers, becoming a champion at the highest level of competition in the world is again, about as hard as anything to do in the world. It really is winning a professional championship is you know, as difficult as starting a business and taking it public. I mean, it is a monster accomplishment. We look at all of these well-funded, deep-pocketed teams, and if throwing money at a problem is all it took, all the rich teams would always win every year and there'd be nothing to talk about. You never know where the beating is coming from in this league. That's what makes it magical. That's why 94 of the top 100 watch television shows are football games. Because there's drama, nothing's guaranteed, no matter how good you are, no matter how prepared you might be, anything could go wrong and equal instant catastrophe, a la last year's NFC title game. Yeah. Right when you think you're sitting pretty, it ends horrifically and painfully. And hopefully the Niners have paid enough penance and we'll have the opportunity to actually be dancing at the end of the season instead of being sitting in the locker room going, what the fuck happened again? Because no one wants to feel that. Again, no, no one wants to feel that again. Well, and, you know, they they have all the momentum in all three phases. You know, they've got a, a 
good enough special teams with a punter that can pin you inside your 20. And they got a good off, really good offense with a lot of weapons. They got the right quarterback who wants it and is, is going to, you know, this whole idea of rest versus rust on Brock Purdy. There's no rest for Brock Purdy. He's taking mental reps. He's all in. I mean, that, that's kind of why Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, was so frustrating for Kyle Shanahan is that Jimmy Garoppolo was not all in. I mean, his greatest, I mean, he, I think he, football was what he did. It isn't who he is. I mean, I think Brock Purdy is much more wed to being a player, even though he's got balance in his life with his faith and his family and, and that kind of thing. He's got it in perspective, but this, he, he's, he's driven. You can tell he's driven. Right. And he's not he, laying he's, around on the couch, Damon. Larry, this guy's the, grinded. He's the younger guy, but he's the more mature person than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'm not accusing Jimmy of being immature. But I think Jimmy wants to taste that life, live the spoils, give me a Ferrari, give me a porn star, let's have a little fun. And I, look, I, I'm, I'm not looking down my nose at that. Like, you know, God, God bless Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, I mean, I it's like Jimmy... Done. We understand. Right. <laughs> we understand. We understand. But Brock Purdy, you're right. He's Brock Purdy is a young man and an old soul. Yes. And that's and that's really who he is. Perfect way to um, say it. And he's a driven guy. Um, and the one thing I love about the Brock Purdy, I don't know if you heard Schlereth on his podcast talk a little bit about how he, you know, Brock Purdy said to him, Hey, look, man, if you're if you think that, you know, I'm a game manager you either aren't watching or don't know what you're watching, but the best line and the key line and one that I've heard him say three, four or five times already this year is we'll see when it's all said and done. And when he references that, like every time I picture him holding the Lombardi cap backwards, uh, you know, on the stage, like Tom Brady after his first Super Bowl, saying, how about this MFers? You know what I mean? And, um, and I and I I think you got to picture that moment, and I think deep down he really has. He won't talk about it, but he's picturing that. And um, you know what? Bring it on! I, I I feel really really good about their chances. And uh, and then defensively, you know the 49ers, they've had better defenses than this, but man, they're pretty good on all three right. phases, and they're good rested. Enough. It's good enough, you know, like like the arm strength. How how, how what about Brock's arm strength? It's good enough. The way that this defense is good enough. They're they're not the most dominant defense we've ever seen. They're not the most dominant defense in Niners history. But buttressed by an offense that is crisper than any Niners offense we've seen under Shanahan, they're, they're enough. They're enough to get it done. And Steve Wilkes is good enough to get it done. Um, and we all know offensively what this did. I, what I couldn't believe is you just said they're ready to go in all three phases, and then you started with special teams. And, of course, Wisnowski's had a great year as a punter. Um, but kick return and obviously the Jake Moody panic attack that everybody had after the Rams game. Let me put a little perspective on this for not you, Larry, but anyone watching here. This was a message that I had sent to me. I have not researched this. So let's just assume th th there's some. Th this is true. This is from SRE94. I want to credit who wrote this to me in one of the comments, and I actually screenshotted it. The 49ers have made seven Super Bowls. Moody has a better percentage this year than any other kicker did for them in those years. To my knowledge, they've only had one postseason game in their history that came down to a game winner 
So, you know, if this guy was awful all year, it would be a different conversation. But Jake Moody, as much as he has disappointed Niners fans a couple of times, has had any way you want to measure it, a pretty good year kicking a football. So there's that. And then he goes on and wraps up, said this whole pining for Robbie Gold thing. Like, do we fully understand this, this story on why he's not here? Did he ask for an insane amount of money? And that led to the fact that he's not here. So kind of screw Robbie Gold if he did that. Also, you know, if he did try out with the Giants, why didn't they sign him? Right. If he still Mr. Rolls out of bed, impossible to miss a field goal. Johnny Automatic. How come Johnny Automatic didn't get picked up after a tryout against Scrubinos? You know, and I think that that's realistic too. And he hasn't been in a football locker room all year. So, you know, as we said, well, there's an answer to that question. I mean, your, your kicker's on the team, and and you're not going to see another guy kicking for the Niners this year. The the answer is that his um, average sa- the the salary for Jake Moody this year is one point three million, and um, Robbie was making four point one and probably wanted five. To me, the answer is Javon Hargrave. As soon as there was the commitment to go get Javon Hargrave, money had to be cut, and that was one of the areas that it was deemed um, that it could be cut. And so I think that they they said, you know what, and they made the sizable investment of a third-round draft choice in the kid. And I've talked to him a bunch of times, and he's a grounded, solid kid. But let's also not not you know pretend that uh, they've leaned on him this year. They haven't leaned on him this year. He's only made, I think, two kicks all year beyond 50. Uh, he's already cost them two games. Right, including and, the franchise record, right? Well, I mean, the percentage is nice, but they're like 29th in the league in field goals made or field goals attempted. So they, they, the reality is is that Brock Purdy's dominance in, within the red zone has made Jake Moody kind of an afterthought. If Jimmy Garoppolo were still the quarterback, crapping out in the red zone, two out of every three times or at least a third of the time or whatever the percentage was. Um, you know what? Jake Moody would have been leaned on more often and we would have a more defined picture of his success pattern or failure pattern. But all I would say for the Niners is you mentioned two areas of question, kickoff return, put, uh, you know, return game and the kicker. Well, the Niners don't really have a return game problem in the playoffs. They can put Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk back there and say, you know what? Oh, you guys mentioned it was a problem. It's now a strength. So, um, and they probably will in the biggest games, and they probably should. I, Debo Samuel returning kicks is is fine by me, and yep. Brandon Ayuk returning punts is fine by me. And if they don't feel the need to put those guys back there to avoid hits, put Juice back there. Juice uh, check can can do it, and he's dependable. You just want to make sure you got somebody who's not going to cough up the ball. Right. Everything else is secondary. Look, if you want to put an athlete back there that you trust to make a play, do that. If you just want to fair catch the ball, do that. If you want to put 11 on the line of scrimmage and just sell out for the block and let that punt die wherever it dies on the football field, do that. It just cannot be a turnover. That's right. it. it that, the Don't punt, lose it. Don't lose the game right. on special teams. The punt cannot work against you in this postseason at any point in time. You know, at, at a turnover, if a turnover means a lot in the regular season, it means twice as much in the postseason. Um, possessions are rare. Like you said, you're lucky if you got 12 in a football game. If you get 12 possessions, 
you were scoring quickly or that other team was going three and out an awful lot and you're kicking ass that day. So expect it to be like more like eight to 10 possessions and you just cannot cough one of those up against a good football team. And there's nothing but good football teams left in the frame. Um, a couple of topics that people are certainly talking about, Larry, as we slip into wildcard weekend is that we've got a paywall. For the very first time. And it's like, they're not joking around. You know, NBC wants you to pick up uh, Peacock so badly that they put the Kansas City Chiefs and Miami Dolphins, what I think had, you know, game of the weekend type of billing to put on it. They, they, they sold that to Peacock for, I believe, like $110 million. And then Peacock, who's already made the purchase, gets Taylor Swift for free, you know, and and say what you want. We're not ripping her at all. When Taylor Swift, if just to use simple numbers, if 10 people were going to watch today's game, the minute you put Taylor Swift sitting in a press box, 13 people will now be watching today's game. You know, she adds a significant percentage of audience just by being Taylor Swift in a location. And that I mean, is going on Peacock. This get a is, life, by the way. I mean, my God, get a life. Hey, you know, who cares who's sitting in the stands? I mean, seriously, you got to seriously check yourself. 14 if you're going to sit down for four that's hours that's thing, to watch 14. a football game because somebody in the stands is famous. Larry, 14-year-old girls show up by the millions. Is she performing at halftime? No, but she'll do And what the hell are we talking about? What's she wearing? What kind of earrings does she have in? Is she wearing a bedazzled jersey? Let's look at Brittany Mahomes sitting next to her. I mean, it's just, it's the gossip column (laughs) coming to an NFL stadium. So Uh, Then I'm glad Peacock chose that game, by the way. Then I'm glad. And, she, well, and, and believe me, she's not going to be wearing anything other than layers because it's going to be two degrees. It is going to be freezing at Arrowhead Stadium. Miami Dolphins, you blew it by not getting that home game. Um, but look, the fact that this is going behind a paywall is just a sign of the times that we're living in. And uh, Larry, before, would you say today's your 54th birthday? How about 54th. this? Before your 74th birthday. In the next 20 years, the Super Bowl is going behind a paywall. The Super Bowl is going to be a pay-per-view event. If Logan Paul can get a million and a half pay-per-view buys, what do you think the Super Bowl could do? Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a huge mistake. I really do, because I think you want to have the biggest possible audience for your your marquee game. But the NFL is This is the wrong place to money grab. Hold on, but this is the but the NFL has already made the choice. They will take the bigger payday, even if it includes a smaller audience. Well, they're wrong. Then they're stupid but because the like NFL now. Yeah, that's that's that? prime win one because they, yeah, but, they but, know but, but think about it this way: watching, but they don't care because they got a, an amount of money that is Brink's truck backing up. No, I know, but there's more to it. It's about it's about cultivating a fan base in this overall entertainment pie. And there's a reason that the Niners pack the house on the road because they're an iconic franchise. They're why they're an iconic franchise because they've been good for years. Right, because we all same thing about, the, about the Steelers, the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, it's you have to fall. In, you got to let people fall in love before you can tell them that you know there's a there's a tax on it. 
you know, the, you, if you try to tax people as they're on their way in the door and they're not in love with it, they just stop coming through the door. Let pe you gotta, you gotta give them a little bit of the little bit of the treats and let them get addicted. I mean, I can remember if you tell me, you said to me, when did you fall in love with the NFL? I can think of two games distinctly, distinctly. It was the Raiders and the Vikings in Super Bowl eleven, and it was Cowboys and Steelers in Super Bowl thirteen. I was eleven, I was thirteen, or no, I was uh, no, I was nine, and I was I was eleven, and um, or no, I guess it was I yeah, no, I guess I was I was must be even younger than that. I was probably seven and then nine. So that's really when it when I first got a chance to watch. You know, the, the pomp and circumstance of Super Bowl Sunday. And I can remember the, the I mean, there's been so many games, but I can remember the Raiders beating the Vikings on that super bright day and Sammy White getting destroyed by Jack by uh, by uh, Jack Tatum in the middle of the field. And I can remember Cowboy Steelers 35 31 and Staubach and Bradshaw and, you know, all that all that back and forth, one of the greatest Super Bowl games ever. And to me, I was hooked at that point. And I think that's what you got to do is you, when you're sport, and this is where baseball's got a major problem. They don't resonate with the seven, eight, nine-year-old. That's when you decide if you're a fan or not. And um, baseball doesn't resonate. And, and, and no, the seven, eight, nine-year-olds not, doesn't really care about baseball. Right. But and that's but, why baseball is dying. But the deal is, though, Larry, the seven, eight, nine year old on Super Bowl Sunday isn't picking what's on TV. The adult in the room is picking what's on TV and the adult in the room will pay for the Super Bowl paywall to get the Super Bowl and the kid will watch it anyway. You know, the kid won't know that it was an extra nineteen ninety nine or twenty nine ninety nine or ninety nine ninety nine, whatever they're going to charge. Like if you want to. What about the poor kid? What about the poor family? Do you, you don't want to price people wait, 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 out. Wait, wait, you want to. Do you think the NFL cares about the poor? Well, I mean, they, they all, should, they should, all, because no, as, as, should, as time goes on, if you really want to be, if you really want to be front and center in the world, you've got to, you know, rich and poor alike have got to be into it. And, uh, when you make it just a rich man's game, I mean, that's what baseball's done. Baseball's priced out the, the kid from the inner city. So guess what happens? The kid who loved baseball. And now knows that travel ball is going to cost two grand and mom and dad don't have two grand. They just go, it's okay, mom and dad. I love you anyway. I'll just take my basketball and I'll go shoot at the hoop on the corner. And now I'm a big, big basketball fan. And that's how, you know, why do you think soccer and basketball have grown on a global stage? So, so exponentially in recent years compared to some of these other sports, it's because it's, you know, it doesn't take anything. It's right. just, it's just a ball, just a, you know, I mean, heck, in, in foreign countries, they're shooting on a on a milk crate tied to a wooden board um, in the in a, in a dirt field, you know, and they're calling that a basket. So it's just all I'm saying is I know you're totally right as far as it's going to be. That's where we're headed. I mean, there's no doubt that's where we're headed is the pay-per-view. Um, but if you, as soon as you make a pay-per-view, there will be people that have to make decisions on are they going to pay? Things that we think are permanent and forever change. We're watching it in the media. It happens rapidly. I mean, you need so many different streaming services just to watch your favorite team all year long. They should put all those streaming services together in one bundle and just call it cable. You know, I mean, you need so much of it these days. 
Um, and older people struggle with it, by the way. And my yeah. my dad was a huge baseball fan. He's no longer with us, but I used to. He would call, um, like on a Friday night. Hey, where's the Giants game? It's not on. I'm like, Dad, it's it's on. You know, whatever Apple Amazon, whatever. Apple, or whatever. It's Friday night. Oh, how do I do that? Here, get your mother in here. Here, talk her through it. You know, it's like now I'm like you know trying to land a plane virtually or something. You know, uh, because he, they couldn't figure it out. So. I, to me, it should be like in addition to, but I understand why they make it, you know, exclusive. They're trying uh, to drive the audience to it. I, I um, don't know. I cannot confirm whether or not we've got a little breaking news. I just went to the front page of ESPN to find out if it was. It's not there yet, but we have several different members in our chat. If it's one or two people, Larry, maybe it's just conversation or a wish. If it's several people, maybe it's actually happening. Um, Adam Peters to Washington is something that I've seen four or five or six different times from different people in our chat who are not here to just goof. Yes, around it's, and try it's, to it, no, it's, it's accurate. Um, you can go to profootballrumors.com. The wa Washington is hiring Adam Peters as general manager. Again, according to Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, Peters will likely take the title of president of football operations. Um, this is the Bob Myers dream. Bob Myers did not go, you know, Bob, say what's next for Bob Myers. Everybody was wondering that he could do anything he wants. He wants to be a billionaire, I'm sure. And he at least wants to be on his way to being a billionaire. So he goes to a dormant. I mean, what were the Warriors? The Warriors were a dormant, somewhat iconic franchise, even though I'm sure people would argue that. But the Commanders, who used to be the Redskins, were an iconic franchise with Jack Kent Cook and Bobby Beathard and Joe Gibbs. Dan Snyder ruined that. And so Bob Myers was hired with one goal. It's one of the great brand ruinings of our lifetimes. No doubt. And, and a rapid one at that. Um, and while the NFL has grown up in in you know around it, um, they still are not in the same status. So Myers was brought in to rebuild the iconic brand known as the Redskins, now the Commanders. And so he's going to do the game plan of hire Adam Peters, let Peters hire a head coach, have success on the field, get the fans back. Then because you got the fans back, get a new stadium, move out of FedEx field and turn that franchise, you know, increase the value of that franchise by $2 billion. And if you're Bob Myers, maybe keep half a billion, you know, I mean, um, and that's, I think that's clearly the plan. Do you think that's a big loss? Okay. okay. So it, it is a big loss for the Niners. Let's look at this from a, an Adam Peters is now calling the shots for the commanders. I mean, there are, there are two phone calls that you have to make first, right? The first is to bill Belichick. The second is to Jim Harbaugh. Right. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it, it really depends on, um, um, you know, what they're looking for. Um, you know, I was looking at the odds as far as, you know, um, our good buddy, Jimmy Shapiro puts out odds on all this stuff. And he yep. has sent me the odds on the coaches yesterday. And I have it here and I can tell you who the favorite was the commander's head coach. Um, it's two to one odds. That it's Ben Johnson, the OC of the lions. Then Belichick at three to one, Harbaugh at six to one, Mike McDonald at nine to one. So I'll say this: I'll, let me throw another name in there. 
Um, I think there's a very good chance that that uh, Peters brings Slowick, who was you know Bobby Slowick, who's thought to be a little bit of a star in his own right um, in the head coaching circles. And obviously, Peters knows him from San Francisco before he jumped to, uh, you know, jumped away in um, Slowick was with what Tennessee? Who's who did Slowick jump to? I'm, for, I'm forgetting. I'm. I'm. I'm was I, it I, Tennessee? Because no, if it was Tennessee, it was, it was maybe he got ousted with Vrabel. No, I'll look it up. But I, Bobby Slowick. If anybody knows where Bobby Slowick jumped to last year, I'm just. Uh, let me check. But yeah, so I I think Bobby Slowick could be a name. Um, Texas, yeah, Houston, Houston, yeah, he went to yeah, Houston. that's right. He, yeah, he that makes sense. Of course, he went with D'Amico. D'Amico, that's right, that's right. And look at the year. I mean, look at the uh, the incredible year that they had, um, and the incredible year that C.J. Stroud had. And you know, the Niners' offense is one that lots of people want to copy, and they believe, you know, is you know what will work. So I could see Slowick being there. I can't really see Belichick and Harbaugh. I don't know about Harbaugh, but um, I think, you know, Ben Johnson is going to be a hot name. Um, I would see it's probably between Slowick and, and Ben Johnson um, to be the next coach. And, and uh, I'm, I'm really disappointed in this one, but I mean, the 49ers, when they gave uh, John Lynch a promotion and a new title, they didn't give uh, Adam Peters, um, a promotion in a new title, and maybe the handwriting was on the wall at that point. But I thought it was a kind of a foregone conclusion when Rand Carthon left last year that, you know, that Lynch was going to be the guy, at least on the short term, and that, um, that Peters was the heir apparent. And that's why Rand was jumping. Um, and instead, Peters jumps as well. So this is a real loss. I mean, the, you know, Adam Peters is the one guy that really has, um, you know, the the personnel chops. You know, John's a former safety and and a TV guy. He's a player. Um, you know, he's obviously knows a lot of personnel. But and then they have other people within their system um, that are come that are growing up and doing well. But you know, maybe the Niners yeah. will fill that internally. But that's a major loss. You got to get the personnel part right. And nobody's perfect. You know, if Adam Peters had a big hand and let's pick Trey Lance, then, you know, good riddance, right? You know, I'm mean, I, 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 not, not good riddance, obviously he's very good at what he does, but nobody's perfect uh, when it comes to putting a, a roster together or draft picks or anything like that. But the decisions more often than not under his tenure have been, have been good decisions, especially so, day three of the draft and especially after the draft. So we'll yeah. see, if, you know, we'll chart this going forward to see how things go, but um, there's some other people um, well, in the 49er the organization that they that are highly thought of beyond behind Lynch and, 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 and um, look, beyond Adam Peters, uh, you know, who you can't have because he just left. The 49ers are very much a would you like to come work for us? A lot of people are standing in that line organization. So uh, if they do expand this search outside of their own organization, uh, I'm sure that they will have, you know, a a a whole bunch of five-star recruits in the player personnel department um, who would be interested in coming and working for what I think everyone regards as a really well-run franchise. You know, the four, the 49ers for, oh, I don't know, you know, that window between... Okay, wait, we should, one thing, to, we, to, 
One thing, Damon, not to interrupt you, but Steve Cass has stopped the BS. The report is the commanders are working on making Peters the GM. The Niners can still sway him if Jed is willing to pay and give him the title. It's not a done deal yet. Let me just read to you the way it's worded here, and you guys can decide for itself. Yourself. Okay. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network is noting that Peters will likely take likely. on the title of president of football operations. But Schefter's report says Washington is hiring Adam Peters as general manager. So I got to think that um, that he's going to do it. But you're right, the 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 uh, Steve, you're right in that the Niners could there is no salary cap for what you pay executives. So if the Niners, I mean, the guy's from Cupertino, he left the Broncos to come to the Niners because he wanted to be in the Bay Area. Uh, if the Niners, if Lynch said, hey, you know what, I'm, I, I'm, I want to win a title and ride off into the sunset within the next three years, the Niners could pay Peters whatever he, they want to retain him and give him whatever title they want. And, and you know, but ultimately it's about running your own show. And I think that's probably I don't I can't believe that Bob Myers, you know, is as much as he's been spotted at Niner games. They both went to UCLA. Um, I got to think that there's this is not like, oh, they just discussed this this week. They've been planning on this and talking about this. And and if Peters wasn't going down this road, I, I don't know. I mean, it could be a huge leverage play to get Jed to pay him more. But, um, you know, I. I, maybe Lynch is wants. Maybe John Lynch has said that he wants to be, you know, uh, here longer, longer than um, than I believe. You know, maybe John Lynch is loving this job and wants to be here for the next decade. I don't know. And if that's the case, Peters probably should jump. And look, Steve, Steve Cass, thank you very, very much for the uh, tr- trying to clarify what happens. It's still, again, this is all breaking news. Neither Larry nor I have a producer trying to get us the right article here. We're just looking for it. And we thank everyone for helping us out. We want to get the story right. It is a group effort over here on YouTube. When you take, can you take Steve down now, Larry? We don't, we don't Steve yelling at us the entire show. Yeah. I, I love Steve. Thank you, Steve. Um, Look, I will replace it with a super chat. Ricky Williams says we lost Adam to the commanders. There you go. Okay. Well, thank you, Ricky. Um, I wonder if that's the Ricky Williams. And if it is, that brings me to my next uh, perfect transition here, Larry. Uh, who's your weed guy? Because I need your weed guy because you were Steven Seaweed. Steven he, Seaweed. Steven Seaweed. Love one of the great DJs ever. The weed, he was he wasn't my weed guy. He was the weed man. The weed man. The weed um, man. Larry, how high were you when you were like, you know, if the Niners don't get it done this year, they should call Bill Belichick and see if he wants to be the defensive coordinator. Are you out of your mind? No, no. I mean, first of all, everybody just immediately is and I get it. You know, you say things and people are like, dude, that's a terrible take. Well, we don't know what Belichick. We don't know what Belichick wants to do. Um, The assumption is, is that he wants that record that Don Shula has. But you know what, Damon? I'm not convinced that that's the case at all. I, I and and. The people that I've talked to, and I've talked to multiple uh, national people around the league who know what's going on, said that Bill's not going to coach again, and that Bill's not going to be a GM, that Bill's going to be kind of a defensive consultant, um, and that he's done with the coaching gig. I mean, you got we're talking about a 73-year-old man. Now, 
I, I know there's a lot of young football fans, so they don't know their football history. But Bill Walsh coached Stanford after he won three Super Bowls. Sid Gilman was a great, you know, he's like the father of the forward pass. This guy was a star coach in the 50s with the Rams and the 60s with the Chargers. He was the Eagles quarterback coach in 1981. That's a major step down. Heck, I was just at Niners Ravens on Christmas night. I bumped into Ozzy Newsome. I shook hands with him, said, hey, how you doing, Ozzy? Ozzy is not retired. Ozzy has kicked himself into a football consultant role. Eric DaCosta is the new GM in Baltimore. All I'm saying is for the very, very best, for the very, very most respected football people, they can do lesser roles in their in the twilight, especially we're talking about a guy who's coached 50 years, who's almost 70, mid-70s. Um, the assumption that Bill Belichick's going to be a coach, I think is like, you know, it could happen. But and, and this idea that he could just have his pick of jobs, I don't think so, man. And the the ones that are rumored to be headed, he could be headed to are places like Atlanta and Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. Does he what does Bill Belichick really want? If he wants a fat check, go to Carolina. David Tepper will cut him a big check. But I get the feeling that he wants to get back to his roots. And he says he loves coaching. And I think that's what he wants to do. He's a defensive coach. He's a defensive backfield coach. And think about it this way. He's really tight with Kyle Shanahan. He's really tight with John Lynch. He likes those guys. That's why. That's how Jimmy Garoppolo got here for a second-round pick way back when. So all I'm saying is if Bill Belichick just wants to be a defensive czar, if you're the Niners, let's just say you fall short here, um, the, the, what's the pivot? I mean, you're, Shanahan's not going to blame himself. He's going to blame the defense. And Steve Wilkes could move on. And they could promote somebody like Daniel Bullocks to defensive coordinator who's pretty young. And they could pay a Bill Belichick big money to be their defensive replacement Czar. Now he's not going to be some grinder, but um, don't look at it as um, as a demotion. It wouldn't be a demotion. It would be like he's working with an you know to with an offensive guru as the defensive guru to lead the next defensive coordinator. I know it sounds crazy now, um, and I know it's not. People are thinking, oh, he's going to lead his own ship. He's Bill Belichick, but Walsh did it. You know, Sid Gilman did it. Ozzy Newsom did it. Belichick could do it. Ozzie's it's probably not going to happen, but I mean, where, where if you're Bill Belichick, would you rather? I mean, think about it this way. You got also got to think about legacy. What if he goes to Carolina and they don't win anything? Now his legacy somewhat is tarnished. Yeah, he was done at the end. He couldn't get it done. What if he goes to Atlanta and they fail? He's already had this failure with New England. So Bill Belichick, the general manager, let down Bill Belichick, the head coach. Bill Belichick's defense, though, is still outstanding. And if you look at the 49ers, what do they have? They've got five or six young DBs that really could use a Bill Belichick. I, th I think I saw an incredible stat that over his 24-year career as head coach, they allowed 1.2 points per opponent drive, which is still like the best. Is the best certainly over a 24-year run. I mean, he is a, a spectacular X's and O's teacher of the game coach. But at his core, I, he's the best. He's the best defensive back. His expertise was always in defensive backfield secondary play. play. Absolutely. Yeah. He's he's right there with George Seifert and Bud Carson as like the greatest DB coaches of all time. 
Yeah. And if and the Niners did for years and years and years, and years employ, they employed some older guys. I mean, Bill McPherson was coaching in his mid seventies. Now, was he the DC? No, Ray Rhodes was, um, but he was a defensive consultant, and um, I could see. And you could pay Belichick anything you want, by the way. So, right. like, if if you're Bill Belichick, would you rather go fail? In um, he's got you know the guy's already got eight Super Bowl rings, six as a head coach, two as a defensive coach with the Giants under Parcells. He love what he truly loves at his core is coaching and coaching DBs. And I'm not saying he's going to be the Niner DB coach. He and I don't even think he'd be that necessarily the coordinator. But I could think they could pay him a fat amount of money to be a defensive consultant. And um, I could see it. Now a lot of people can't see it. We'll see how it goes. It's it's um, thinking. I think it's a little bit of a pipe dream when a man yeah, is, probably a, is. A, a handful of wins away from being the all-time winningest head coach. I don't think he's looking to be anything other than a head coach. Should he leave he New England? Seem like the kind of guy that wants that record, though. I don't know. Maybe he, I'm wrong. Well, he doesn't seem like he's motivated by anything because that's the you know the 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 the, the camera facing Bill Belichick feels like he's detached, but he's, he's very attached to the game. And, you know, if you ask me, what what do you think Nick Saban would do next? I'd tell you, well, he'll probably go like coach a high school or a pop Warner team just to be a teacher of the game in a much pressureless level. Like I could see Bill Belichick doing that or like you know, going to like, you know, he's the next head coach of Amherst College or something, you know, just something really off the radar. He, he coached lacrosse at Amherst. You're right. No, no, I, I think, I, you know, for I, I think it's a I think it's a massive pipe dream to think that he will show up to fix a Niner defense. Should that let it down? I'd, I just don't think he's anything other than a head coach at this point in his in his life cycle. And he's got one more coaching cycle in him. And I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to carry anybody's bags. He wants to run the show. We'll see. We'll see. And, but you got to remember this, if the Niners fall short, there's going to be a ton of pressure to do something of significance uh, to run it back. And it's not going to be a long-term play. It's going to be a short-term play. And bill, there's no doubt he's the czar of defense and Shanahan's not going to blame himself. If they, if they fall short, he's going to blame the defensive shortcomings, and I think that may align. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Tariq Ahmad, the co- the director of college scouting, I think is a guy, a star within the Niners system. There's another star within the Niners system. His name's Josh Williams, and he's a national scout. He went to my high school, San Ignatius High School. Josh is a tremendous guy. I think Josh is maybe a year or two early on becoming the the new Adam Peters, but Josh would be a great candidate. And Tariq, uh, I could see being being the call. So that would be my guess. As far as replacement. Uh, and Mick, Mick Mallow here is right on the money. Shows how smart some of the people in our chat really are. Uh, uh, Mick's all over it. Uh, Tariq Ahmad, he says, is taking Peters' place. Uh, maybe he's got sources, but n- uh, there's no doubt that Mick is right. Tariq is in line. He's next up. He was the director of college scouting. Well, it, look, nothing lasts forever, I guess, is the the theme of this segment, right? And I guess that has to bring us to an in-division rival that is making a massive change. I didn't think that Pete Carroll was going to be stepping aside or being asked to step aside as apparently kind of what happened up in Seattle. I thought that uh, their season 
was pretty good considering all the moving parts around their season, an injury to their starting quarterback. You know, they were in, in Drew Locke time there, and I thought that they had some decent success with Drew Locke going in for Geno. I thought that the Seahawks were were good. Like, they weren't bad. And I'm surprised that the just it, – it's amazing to say Pete Carroll's a 70-year-old man. He looks so good still. He's just got that California boyish – you know, presentation about him, but Pete he went Carroll, to Redwood high school. He's a yeah. Marin guy from Larkspur or Pete from, Ca- um, you know, Marin Redwood's in Larkspur. Pete Carroll's gone. I mean, it, in the same week where Bill Belichick and Nick Saban exit, and you can't find bigger football exits than that. It feels like Pete Carroll got a little short shrift in terms of any sort of waxing poetic about who he's been what he's meant, not just to Seattle, but to the sport of football in its entirety, going back to his head coaching days at USC, the rising like a phoenix from the disaster that was the New England Patriots head coach for a minute, who was the New York Jets head coach for a minute. I mean, Pete Carroll, when he got to USC, was an NFL laughing stock. And for him to have come back from USC, he exited right at the right time, right when the right when the sirens were getting there to you know, throw USC into college football's, you know, temporary jail. Um, He shows up in Seattle. A lot of eye rolling was attached to, oh, you know, Pete might have been good at USC, but back in the NFL, he's going to get embarrassed again. Well, he embarrassed more teams than he was embarrassed. He and Russell Wilson together were one of the all-time thorns in the side of the San Francisco 49ers and presiding over the Legion of Boom, you know, he had an era. He might have only had one Super Bowl, but for an era there, the Seahawks, you know, were the the best-looking, best-dressed girl in the high school. They were a monster. They really were. So, you know, all you can do is say cheers to, to Pete Carroll, who was a hell of an opponent. I mean, he that guy gave the Niners everything they wanted and then some. He started as a GA at UOP in 1973. I was three years old. Um, he's been doing it forever. Um, I mean, what can you say? It isn't it amazing if you look at it. I don't know if I would agree with your laughing stock because uh, the Niners. He was a respected defensive coordinator with the Niners in the in the mid 90s, but he hadn't been. It's amazing that he had not been successful as an NFL head coach. He, he had that good assistant. Not a head guy. Can't, you know, he, he was he, thought to be too nice. He was thought to be too boys, nice. Not a leader of men is one thing I heard attached to him. And that's why he'll have success maybe in college. Cause those are the boys. But when he gets in front of men, no, nah, it's not going to happen. Well, it happened. <laughs> and he picked the right general manager, uh, John Schneider. And those two guys were locked at the hip. And yeah, I mean, Pete's two most successful runs were USC's head coach. He totally rejuvenated that entire program. Um, and then, and then what he did in Seattle and he should have won two rings. He only won one. We all know how it happened, but this guy's a hall of famer, man. He's a, he's won a national championship on the college level. He's won a super bowl on the pro level. He's been the coach of the year. He won the pac 12, seven times. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, incredible record, um, 170 and 120 and one as a head coach in the NFL, only 500 in the playoffs, 11 and 11. 83 and 19 in college, won 81% of his games. And all I would say is this is the right time. And, you know, some of these guys are such lifers that they almost have to 
have somebody kick them to the next stage of their of their life. You're 72 years old, you know, unless you know something I don't know, you don't got a lot of time left. And, um, you know, he probably, I mean, whatever you made a lot of money, you've been, you know, football out football hours are long and arduous. And I realize it's your chosen profession and this is what you love to do. And I get it, but, um, you know, uh, you're talking about, you're talking about go do something else. I mean, you know, you have, he's got a wife, he's got three children, he's probably got some grandchildren, go enjoy them. You're 72, travel the, travel the globe, do some philanthropic things, do, do whatever, do whatever your second interest is. But I will say this too. He also had a great coaching tree. When you really look at it, um, he worked under some amazing coaches, George Seifert, uh, Jerry Burns, Bud Grant, Kay Stevenson, who I worked for in the Canadian League, uh, Monty Kiffin, Lou Holtz. But he also, 15 of his assistants became NFL or NCAA head coaches, guys like Ed Orgeron, Lane Kiffin, Bo Pelini, Sarkeesian, Norm Chow, Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn, Robert Sala. Um, and a lot of his um, guys who worked with him became executives, became GMs in the NFL. Charlie Army, Jason Licht, who's now in Tampa, Scott McLuhan, uh, Chris Greer, Scott Fitterer, who just got dumped by the Panthers. So he's had a pretty good, you know, not pretty good. He's had a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame coaching career. He's a great guy. He's a positive guy and um, a and, uh, Bay Area uh, son. And I, I wish him well. And yeah, and he's going to stay in Seattle as a consultant. That's the thing. And he's not he's not leaving like this guy isn't in line for another head coaching job. I think he's reached that point in his life where he is like, all right. I'm 70, and I, I look. I think that the plan was they're going to go Dan Quinn here. I think. Yeah, I think the, the plan was he was going to come back, but then you know you sleep on it for a night or two. You talk, you realize, do I really want to do another year? Do I want to commit? And he's like, you know, I, I want to stay around football, but maybe not as the head coach of the Seahawks. So he's going to get kicked upstairs and be given what a golden parachute, but still be involved. I'm sure in some way, still going to go through a at least a, you know, a stick of gum every 15 minutes. Pete can't give that up. Um, but look, a, a truly worthy opponent, like that's what made the Seahawks and the 49ers such a great rivalry because they were worthy opponents against each other. Even when the Niners were getting their, their ears boxed in by the Seahawks, they were still pretty damn good, you know? So it was, um, it was, he's just, he's, he's one of those, he was the, he was the bad guy, but he was a pretty good guy for being a bad guy. So, uh, what's your deal? Yeah. Well, <laughs> him and Harbaugh. What's so, your deal? That was great. Yeah. Now Pete's, yeah, Pete's cheers uh, to Pete Carroll. Cheers to Pete Carroll. Yeah. Cheers to Pete Carroll and, um, good guy. And, um, you know, I, I wish him well. I do believe Dan Quinn will take over that job in Seattle. They'll have continuity with, with their defense. Cause you know, Quinn will come in and, and run that same scheme. John Schneider is still a, a very young man in the GM circles. And let's be honest, uh, um, Schne you know, Schneider's done a really nice job at restocking the cupboard. I mean, they've got a lot of good young pieces, a lot. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and, and they looked like they were going to be on the outs for a while. And he gets Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas in one draft. 
Then he gets Devin Witherspoon and, and Tariq Woolen, and they signed Julian Love, who's a tremendous player. It's like they rebuilt their secondary. They're, they, you know, they're close to having the Legion of Boom back there. They're not quite um, what they want to be up front, and they obviously need their quarterback of the future, and maybe it's Michael Penix. Who knows? Maybe it's Bo Nix. My guess is it's one of those two guys. There's two quarterbacks in this draft, both coming out of the Pacific Northwest, and I think Seattle's going to wind up getting one of them. The longest tenured NFL head coach now is Mike Tomlin. 17 seasons with the Steelers, never a losing season. He is in yet another postseason, although I don't think you or I are going to be picking the Steelers over the Bills. Followed by John Harbaugh, who's at 16 seasons now. Andy Reid has been with the Chiefs for 11 seasons. And then... Sean McDermott, Kyle Shanahan, and Sean McVay have all been in their head coaching spots now. This is season number seven for all of them that just passed. Zach Taylor and Matt LaFleur are both in there, just completed their fifth seasons with uh, Cincinnati and Green Bay, respectively. Um, so it, it's it's amazing how that turn just keeps on going. The NFL stops for no one, waits for nothing, and we keep on going. We keep on going. But Mike Tomlin, now the longest tenured NFL head coach, now that Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll have left. We have to say something about Nick Saban. Uh, one of the single most dominant programs of our lifetime in the sport of football has closed the curtain on, on an era here with Nick Saban's retirement. And Larry, you know, there, there are certain sports stats that when you hear them, you're just like, wow. Uh, maybe the single greatest stat I've ever heard attached to a player in my lifetime. Any sport, like what's the greatest stat you've ever heard, right? Tony greatest Gwynn, stat. No, yeah. but so Tony Gwynn could have gone O for a thousand in his last thousand career at bats and Tony Gwynn would have still been a 300 lifetime hitter. I remember wow. hearing that in his final season and just going, wow. I mean, and I always, Tony Gwynn was the first true opponent who I fell in love with Tony Gwynn, even though he never played for the Cubs is one of my five favorite baseball players of all time. I love, love, loved Tony Gwynn. Go down the rabbit hole of Tony Gwynn statistics. It's one of the greatest rabbit holes you can fall into if you're a baseball dork. I think I've I, I think Tony's stat has been replaced, Larry. And being a personnel guy, you, this is gonna your your nipples are about to get hard. Are you ready for the single greatest stat you've ever heard in your life? Yes. Under Nick Saban, Alabama had more players drafted in the first round, forty four. Then he had losses, 29. More first-round draft picks than he had losses as a head coach at Alabama. That's one of the greatest holy shit stats I've ever heard in my life. There will never be anyone who does that again. Are you kidding? That's insane. It is amazing. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, and the coaching tree he's had is extensive, extensive. He was on the Don James coaching tree, uh, you know, and, and so many 
so many coaches coached under him. Um, not just, it's not just players that he developed. He developed an awful lot of coaches along the way. So the guy it's, it's funny too. It's like, figure out what you're good at and stick with it. You know, and that's what Nick did. And Nick, Nick was sub 500 as an NFL head coach, right? I mean, he's like, he's 15 and 17 in the NFL, but he's 292, 71 and one in college. And he's a little, there was some dysfunction there as far as some of his communication and uh, some of the, you know, he was so strident in so many ways, but there's also a lot of, of uh, moral compass there as well. Uh, this guy's a devout Catholic used to go to go to uh, mass before every game and that well, kind even, of thing. Here's the thing. Even if you're not, you have to pretend to be in the South. <laughs> well, you know, but you know, he, he is, um, you know, I, to me, the, the, uh, the, you know, the whole Nick Saban story. I mean, he's, he, I, so much in recent years of his lectures to his players were about life and not football. Um, and I just think that, you know, he, he definitely has strong feelings. You know, I did for years, a couple of years, um, while I was at CanBR, a regular hit with Fran Tarkenton, Fran Tarkenton and Nick are buddies. And I would imagine unlike Pete Carroll and unlike Bill Belichick, uh, Nick Saban is just gonna, you know, hang out at the, at the lake and sit there and swap stories with Fran over, uh, cocktails, you know, going I think he, forward. You know what? I guarantee you, Larry, it takes about 12 months and then he's going to realize I'm bored. And I bet you he does. Like I, I can see Nick Saban at some Alabama high school someday, you know, like Nick Saban still coaching, but just at a much different level because he just loves the game still like maybe that's the road Bill Belichick travels at some point, but I do think Bill's going to have not just one more head coaching payday, but try to get that head coaching all-time win record attached to his name and then drift off to the sunset. But these guys, they're addicted to winning. They're addicted to competition. And when the winning and the competition goes away, they become impatient. You know, we, we saw the same thing happen with Bruce Bochy, right? Bruce Bochy, I think, was incredibly satisfied with a well-lived already a hall of fame career when he departed the San Francisco giants or would, you know, for whatever, however you want to say that that ended, that ended. I do think that he legitimately wanted to go fishing in the Gulf of Mexico for about a year or two. And then he was like, this is just fucking fishing in Mexico. I need to be in a dugout. And he comes back to a dugout and the man who's addicted to winning gets another world series. So how old is Boach though? Boach has got to be 67, 8, 9, yeah. right? I mean, I, I mean, Saban's 72. I mean, you know, right. come on. He's I, I, I don't know. I, I think at some point, I mean, why why, why do all the work and accumulate all the money and all this? And, and the guy's won seven national championships. He's won Boach 11 SEC titles. The guy, the guy's, you know, he's a two-time coach of the year. He's, a, you know, I mean, the guy's. He's a five-time SEC coach of the year. I mean, I, at, the, at some point, you don't you want to enjoy something? I mean, you married the woman. Don't you want to travel the globe maybe? Don't you know you got kids, you got grandkids. Don't you want to, I don't know, maybe go to a birthday party? And sometimes I wonder about, um, you know, some of these guys. It's like, yeah, I mean, I understand there's only so much you can do, but I mean, You've 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 done an incredible amount. You've made an incredible amount of money. Just 
enjoy the twilight years and enjoy your family and good health while you have it, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's how well-rounded, considerate people would think. I just don't know how many head coaches are are well-rounded. I mean, they get addicted to the game, to the competition, to the winning. They really do. And I think it might trump some of their feelings of now it's time for me to be a grandpa or travel the world with my wife. I, I that's just the way these guys are. They're not like us. They're abnormal. Yeah. Um, they, they are, they are different people. They really are. Um, the way that professional athletes have different bodies, the normal civilians, I think professional coaches have different minds and are set differently than just normal civilians. It's the way it goes. And somebody um, says, Hey, it's the thrill of it, Larry. No, I get it. I mean, they're addicted to the, to the excitement and, and, and you can't be a type a personality and, and, you know, be an incredible competitor. It's a very difficult thing to turn off, but at the end of the day, it's still what you do. It shouldn't be who you are. And, um, I don't know. I personally, it's, it's I, like in the movie heat, I'm in it for the juice, Neil. I'm in it for the juice. <laughs> yeah. It's not the payday. Um, so when I was uh, texting back and forth with uh, our producer of Wake Up, Kevin Kruger, uh, related to Larry Kruger, by the way, um, I was telling him that I had a little segment that I think he's going to be able to make a video out of. And that segment is right here and right now. Larry, are you ready for the 2023 49er regular season awards? Yes. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second, Damon. Damon. Hold on. Hold on. Yes. Oh. I've got uh, something I want to add to that. Uh, hold on, hold Rapid. on. Oh my God! Well, I can't wait to see. My <laughs> well, you're me. Like Price Waterhouse, I have already selected all the winners and put them in an envelope. I actually did this segment on my show. Larry, I have all my answers. I'm not going to be changing my answers to fit your answers. Let's see how many of your answers align with my answers, how how similarly we think about this, how differently we think about this. Are you ready, sir? I absolutely am ready. <laughs> I'm going to try to do a better job hosting this segment than Joe Coy did the Golden Globes. Are we ready? Here we go. Yes. Larry, our first award, it's up to you to decide who it goes to. The category is Most Valuable Brock. Who do you think is the most valuable Brock on the San Francisco 49ers? Basically, we had to give you-know-who his own category because he would have won basically all the rest of them. So uh, Most Valuable Brock, which are you going with? Is there a second? There's only one, baby. I'm going with Brock. Purdy. Absolutely. I mean, a, a remarkable story, a rise from last pick in the draft, a legitimate MVP candidate. All good things flow through Brock, and we just needed to get him up front because he could be your, your he's your team MVP. He's your Len Eshmont award winner in terms of inspiration. He is, uh, I, I think, maybe the media's choice for most cooperative 49er as well. Like Brock has just done an incredible job with any and all aspects of being a professional quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, which is harder than most professional quarterbacks have it. I mean, there's a difference. Are you a center fielder or are you a center fielder for the New York Yankees? Are you a shortstop 
or are you a shortstop for the New York Yankees? Are you a quarterback or are you a quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers? Because these things are not created equal. This man has risen and met every standard that could be applied to the most scrutinized position in, in maybe all sports. The guy's been incredible. Absolutely incredible. And, um, you know, what can you say? He's he's fantastic. Um, and, um, you know, he's... He's a, he is absolutely him. Um, and people who doubted this guy and I, I do get it because you didn't get a chance to meet him, but if you met this guy, you would say, absolutely. Uh, you're not surprised by the way, the all pro team is out as well. We can play with that when we're done with this. Our next award, Larry, and this is how you want to interpret it to decide whom to give it to. Who is your greatest difference maker? And we're taking Brock off the board for the rest of these categories. He's already won most valuable Brock, so he's eliminated from any and all consideration going forward. Greatest difference maker on the 2023 Niners regular season was? It has to be Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Christian McCaffrey had an amazing year. And from um, minicamp on, uh, he was he was the, the, the 49er player that shined brightest. Uh, he he showed in minicamp that he was going to play at a Jerry Rice type level, and he stood out on a field of great players. He stood out as the greatest of great players um, with his effort and his athleticism. So Christian McCaffrey, without a doubt. I also selected Christian McCaffrey, and I'll buttress it with this: the 49ers were 12 and four in games that he played this season. He sat the Rams game, so he doesn't get credited for the loss in that. And in um, 2023, he made his debut against the Chiefs, caught a loss in his debut. Then the Niners won 10 in a row. His regular season record with the Niners when he plays, the Niners are 22 and five. If you add the postseason to his tally, the 49ers are 24 and six since adding Christian McCaffrey. So if that's not a difference maker, I do not know what would be. Greatest individual performance in any one particular game. Larry, do you have a standout greatest individual performance of the 49ers this year? This is a harder category for you to just fill out mentally without Does everybody have to only numbers. get one. So is McCaffrey no, 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 and Purdy no, no, no. gone now? I will tell you that Christian McCaffrey is also the recipient of my greatest individual performance. And I chose Sunday, October 1st, where he had the four total touchdowns, 100 yards rushing, uh, 71 yards receiving, four total touchdowns against the Arizona Cardinals, who he scored seven of his 21 touchdowns against this season. So his first game against the Cardinals was a straight-up video game. Debo had one crazy game. Was it the Eagle game? Did he score a great game against the Eagles. Yes, he did. Yeah, I might go with Debo against the Eagles. Just when you think of how big that was, uh, in hindsight, you know, I mean, that tunnel screen where he ran diagonally through the defense, even that was a great play by Christian to, to you know, freeze the linebacker Ellis with the fake. But um, Debo against the Eagles. I'll go Debo against the Eagles. Best new guy award. Not necessarily rookie. Best new guy. Wasn't on the team the year before. Is this year. I gave it to Javon Hargrave. Where are you going? Um, wow. Let me think about that for a second. 
best new guy. Um, well, you there haven't been there haven't been a lot of new guys. Right. I mean, it's not a long list to choose from. Yeah. Um, Javon Hargrave was the premier offseason acquisition for sure, but um, I'm gonna say. I'm going to go with um, a sleeper pick because I really think this was a a very, very significant addition. I'm going to go with Big John Feliciano, who has played outstanding at guard uh, for the 49ers in some games. I mean, he is, talk about a guy who just nobody talked about. Talk about a move that nobody mentioned. Big John Feliciano has been really, really good at times at, either guard spot, mostly right guard. Um, and they needed him badly because Burford struggled this year and didn't develop as quickly as I thought he would. I'm going to say big John Feliciano. I was going to go with Feliciano too, before I just settled on Hargrave, who I just think did a great job with his seven sacks and filling in for a hurt at the end of the year, Eric Armstead. Um, I, I, you know, Chase Young could have been on the board, but I don't know if he's done enough. He's represented more of an idea than he has like actual big impact on any game. Uh, Jair Brown might have been a candidate, but I don't think he got enough snaps on his body. And unfortunately, you know, Ron, 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 excuse me, <coughs> Ronnie Bell. Is is just not the guy to choose here. So well, the, um, I, the, we're missing the guy who actually probably is the best new guy, and that's Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes was, you know, n- unlike most people who say, "Hey, come here and run your system." The Niners said, "Come here and run our system," and then he said, "Okay, I will." And then um, they they said, "Well, you know what? Don't get comfortable where you're comfortable. You get comfortable where we're comfortable." And then he came down out of the booth and onto the sideline. And I think he's been a, a really good addition. So it would be, for me, it would be Feliciano 1, Steve Wilkes 1A. Okay, you're going to have to put your thinking cap on, too, for this next category, Larry, because it's a little bit more in the abstract. It depends on who you concentrate on and who gets lost in your shuffle. Who is your winner of the Never Take That Guy for Granted award? Because there have been some outstanding seasons that just get lost in the shuffle of conversation because there's so many outstanding individual and collective seasons of success to talk about on the 49ers. But who do you have in the never take that guy for granted award category? I came up with two names. This is the only time I cheated and I split an award between two guys. But who do you think of when you think, Never take that guy for granted. We could talk about the Niners for probably 20 minutes, not bring up his name, but he's a key cog, full stop. Well, I, you know, definitely uh, the first name that comes to mind is JJ, uh, Jawan Jennings, but I'm not going that direction. I'm going to go with Dre Greenlaw, who's been a great player in the NFL and has never, ever gotten Pro Bowl consideration. And if let's just go... You know, right out of the shoot, six tackles in week one against Pittsburgh, 11 tackles against the Rams, 10 against Arizona, 10 against the Vikings, never fewer than like eight from that point on, um, 12 against the Ravens, 10 last week against Washington, dinged up. Um, just an incredible year for for Dre Greenlaw. Um 
you, you know, this guy is absolutely an amazing football player. Um, and, and, you know, he gets overshadowed by Fred Warner and Warner's, uh, you know, incredible as well. But I mean, these guys are closer than people realize as far as, you know, what their overall contribution is. Dre Greenlaw hits like a truck. He runs four or five. He, you know, the Niners asked their linebackers to control that entire second level. It's often kind of, kind of like a five, two look that they give you. And those two are Greenlaw and Warner and Warner gets all the love and all the accolades. And I'm just going to say Dre Greenlaw shout out to Dre. I really do think that he is the Navarro Bowman to Fred Warner's Patrick Willis. I mean, he it's, it's an incredible linebacker duo because of how good Greenlaw is and how outstanding Warner is as well. But yeah, they complement each other perfectly. That is an outstanding choice, Larry. Um, a lot of people on the text line are saying, what about Trent? Trent, 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 Trent. To me, like Trent is not even in the category of taking for granted. Who is taking, who is taking Trent Williams for granted? The guy is the, you know, he's, he's the moon. He's the sun. He's the stars for that offensive line. There's no best doubt. player on the team. I mean, he, he's not somebody you take for, do you, what team do you take? You know, is the, the best player on your team is never taken for granted. Right. Ever. Um, I had two guys that just fit my definition of we probably take them for granted. One being Mooney Ward, because, you know, even though he's going to the Pro Bowl this year, none of the secondary is allowed to operate as it operates without Mooney Ward, without a legit number one corner who can take on all the big boys and the bad checks that nobody else wants. Lenore never would have found his, you know, water level on this defense. You don't get to Ambry Thomas on this defense. You don't get um, Steve Wilkes doesn't get to operate the defense the way that he wants to without a guy like Javarius Ward, who is just spectacular this year. And the other guy, Larry, I'm going with George Kittle. I feel like George Kittle for a guy who gets a ton of attention and camera time is still almost hidden in plain sight. He had a sneaky 65 catch 1000 yard season. When we sit around and talk about the great performances, George Kittle's name's not going to come up once and it should, but he does get lost in the sauce because he is so good. I, there are better blocking tight ends maybe in football who are just blocking tight ends. I couldn't name them. Charlie Werner is a hell of a blocking tight end. He's not good as good as Kittle, but there are great blocking tight ends out there. There are probably better receiving tight ends than George Kittle, but when you package them all into the position, I still think that he is the prototype. He is the best all things tight end in football. Um, and he deserves it. He's he's in a tight end class all by himself. No one fills the entire role of tight end better than George Kittle. Uh, rookie of the year. Again, a very short list to choose from. Larry, I, I, I don't, I don't want to steer your decision making. Without reservation, I go with Jake Moody. I know he's a little bit of a, you know, a, a, a persona non grata this past week. But uh, Jake Moody went 21 to 25. Missed four field goals all year. Only missed one point after touchdown after setting the rookie record. Jake Moody, even though he has absolutely contributed to the loss column at least twice, has had a really good rookie year for a kicker. Full stop. I'm going Jair Brown. I mean, Jair Brown, it's really hard to step in at safety. This guy, you know, Fafonga went down. Uh, Gibson at times has been hurt. Um, the, you know, Jair Brown, there's nothing that he can't do and do well. He's got great ball skills and coverage down the field. 
He's like another linebacker in the box. Um, he, he his his enthusiasm and and you know for the game is just awesome. Um, and look at the production. I mean, the guy stepped in, um, and he's he gives you five six tackles in almost every game. Um, you know, he's been good. He's got a couple of interceptions. Uh, he's he's made some big plays. So I'm going to say Jair Brown. By the way, look at how difficult it is to win any postseason award. We've given out a lot that could be interpreted in a whole bunch of different ways. We haven't even gotten to the name Brandon Ayuk. You know, I mean, Brandon Ayuk had a spectacular year. Could have been a, a runaway winner in, in maybe more than one of these categories. But that's how hard it is to win. Our final category, Larry, this is maybe the, the toughest to decipher, too. Who is your 2023 most improved player and remember, you still cannot pick Brock Purdy. So it's got to come from somewhere else. Who is the most improved 49ers player? I have two runner-ups and then absolutely my winner. Before I share mine, I'd like to hear yours. Most improved 49er. Um, hmm. I'm going to go with a guy who um, I absolutely know is the correct answer. Um, I'm going to go with Demo. Diamador Lenore. Diamador Lenore has been, um, you know, this guy, I talked to him in, in training camp. I said, Demo, man, it looks like you've, uh, you've, you've, uh, you know, you look a little lighter than, uh, uh, you know, than last year. And he's like, you know, actually I've put on weight. And I said, really? That's amazing. Cause you look totally different. And he spent his off season at the Mamba Institute down in Southern California. And this kid just badly wants it. And he repositioned his body. He lost some fat. He gained some muscle and he showed up this year as a guy who was ready to play full-time on the corner and to be a hitter. He's not just a, just a cover guy. This guy can cover you. He's competitive. You saw that night, night hit that he had on the Eagle running back in the fourth quarter of the Eagle game. Demo Lenore has emerged. He does something that that's amazing. He can play in the slot and then bounce out to the boundary and then bounce back to the slot and play both spots equally well. They're totally different, especially in the run game. In the in the run game, the, the slot corner is basically like a linebacker in the box. And um, this guy is physical and he's tough and he's fast and he's incredibly improved. So I'm going to say Demo. I think it's a fine choice. Fine choice. I, I won't argue with it at all. My two runner-ups in third place, I have Debo Samuel. He said he'd never have a year like 2022 again, and his 2023 was a lot better to me. That's improved. And for the 49ers to be at their most dangerous, Debo is right in the center of those game plans and those games. So I'm going with Debo as a third runner-up. Second runner-up, Colton McKivitz. Remember, the right side of that offensive line was supposed to be the reason why this year would stop short of its full goals. I think that he plays next to the weakest spot on the team, which is right guard, and he has done more than appoint himself well at right tackle. He had at least the equivalent of, if not better than year, than Mike McGlinchey. I'm giving Colton McKivitz, who handled that right tackle job better than I think anybody thought he would, certainly based on you know everything we heard coming out of training camp. So I'm going to go with McKivitz as my first runner-up, but my winner 
from the same group that Lenore comes from, I'm going to go with Ambry Thomas because I think that this is the year he turned himself into a real NFL player and a real starting caliber corner who can run with anyone. He's big enough to tackle anybody. I thought it was his addition taking over uh, for Oliver right after that bye week, which really changed the season arc of this defense. And again, Lenore is right in that conversation too. Um, I'm not surprised that both of us took a, a young corner. And I do think that young corner play has been the key of the Niners being allowed to be who they've been. I mean, without these young guys, without that young group stepping up, none of this is happening. So Steve Wilkes gets an awful lot of credit for that. And remember, Steve Wilkes began this year kind of on the outs with a lot of Niners fans. He has turned his reputation around to the point where he might be most improved um, based on where the year started and where it finishes with Steve Wilkes and his group. And each of us took a, a player from his group uh, of, of young, young secondary players. And, and there you go. There are your 49ers postseason awards. Is there any category that you would like to illuminate, Larry? Is there any name that you feel like we haven't done our jobs correctly unless we, in a season recap, talk about this guy right here, right now, Again, we kind of already mentioned Brandon Ayuk, who's been spectacular all year. Did we leave anyone else out? Yeah, I do think we we left out. Um, not you know we covered almost everybody. We covered almost everybody. But um, you know, as far as guys that were you know really impactful, um, that that you know we we left out. I I think we left out two. Um, that we have to mention here, and that is the forgotten guys, um, the guys that are damn good and nobody talks about them ever. And I'm going to say George Odom on special teams. Now he's coming back this week. Hopefully they opened his window and there's a chance they'll activate him. George Odom is a Pro Bowl special teamer, and this guy just absolutely makes play after play after play on coverage. He's really, really good. Um, they, they invested the money to go get a top tier special teamer. And that's exactly what George is. He's a tone setter. And to me, tone setter is like the highest compliment I can pay anybody on a football field is that, man, these guys set the tone. George Odom is one of those guys. Great guy. Uh, go check out my YouTube interviews of him. And he's just, he's a, he's very real. Uh, he's a man of faith. He's just a really, he's a good dude. He's a hard hitter. And nobody, you could come name a bunch of guys and people would never name him. So I'm going to say George Odom. And the other guy that I think is really looked over and um, needs to be recognized is big Aaron Banks at left guard. He's sitting there next to Trent Williams and he's just doing his job. And it's like a really good offensive lineman is oftentimes just not noticed. And that's what Aaron Banks is. He's a really good offensive lineman. Second round pick out of Notre Dame. A lot of people thought he was a bust. He really did emerge this year as an outstanding player. He's going to be a 10-year pro. Um, he's smart. He's tough. You know, there's a reason the Niners run left. When they run their most successful runs, it's between Banks and Trent on the left side. So Banks is a, he's a, you know, he's a, a he's a Coke machine with wheels. You know what I mean? He's like that broad. Um, and he's just, a, he's smart. He's tough. He's played hurt. Um, he's battled a very painful turf toe. Um, you know, I, I talk to him almost every week, and and it's like, dude, 
This guy, you know, he, he also had his a, a baby boy born this year, so he's had a new addition to his family. And, um, you know, it's like we've had a lot of fun this year talking about life, talking about family, talking about football. And, you know, he's a tough guy, uh, but he, he's a Bay Area son. He's from El Cerrito. I uh, love Aaron Banks, man. Tremendous player. Very, very underrated 49er. Here's how good of a season Aaron Banks had. We didn't mention him once. Yeah. And that's and the it, ultimate compliment you can give to an interior lineman. Didn't mention his name once. That's how good he was. He never stood out. He was never a problem. We didn't have to discuss him. Don't worry about that guy. He's He's been fantastic. The other guy whose name I just think needs to be used based on the amount of snaps that he's gotten, the amount of responsibility, and the way that he's answered the bell finally in his first healthy year in the NFL is Javon Kinlaw. Javon Kinlaw is never going to be a pro bowler. Javon Kinlaw is, no one's going to go out and buy a Kinlaw jersey. He does an awful lot of that garbage man work. He, you know, he absorbs the blocks that allow other people around him to have more shine put on him. You know, uh, there's no way that Cleland Farrell has the impactful year that he's had without Javon Kinlaw because they get a lot of reps together. Um, so I just want to put his name out there too, but it's it's really been an outstanding year of football from the 49ers. You know, their their blind spots have been far and few between, and their defeats have been far and few between. We know that three of them came in that bunch right before the bye week, but man, that just feels like a million years ago. And um it's why it's why the expectations for this postseason are, you know, nothing short of Parade goes up Market Street. And those are incredible, incredible expectations for everyone to just assume you're going to meet them this year. You're ready. It's your year. Who is the biggest threat to the 49ers in the Super Bowl should they reach it, Larry? Who's the one team that if you could eliminate them from the AFC right now, you would do it based on threat to the 49ers? A lot of people think it's going to be um, the Baltimore Ravens, but for me, it's not. Um, the 49ers can beat the Baltimore Ravens. The team that is the scariest coming out of the AFC is the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills were 6-6, six and six, and now they've won five in a row. And if they wind up in Vegas on Super Bowl Sunday, they will have won eight in a row. And Josh Allen, as sure as we're sitting here, is absolutely going to win a Super Bowl in his career. And I just don't want to see it be this year. So um, it's Buffalo to me. Their defense is coming on. Von Miller's back. Daquan Jones is back. Um, they almost didn't make the playoffs. What's really scary about the Buffalo Bills beyond Josh Allen is that because they got off to that 6-6 six and six start after 12 games, they have been in playoff mode longer than any team. And that means that there's a razor's edge toughness to them. They've been playing on the edge, knowing that if they lose, they go home. And that's a tough, it's a tough thing to, tough uh, way to play. And they've found a way to win in that capacity uh, five in a row. So I, um, I, I'll be, I'm very afraid of the Buffalo Bills if, I, if they're there in, uh, in Vegas because they will have won eight in a row and they've got a hall of fame type talent at quarterback who's up and down. And a lot of people say, Oh yeah, but he's only four, you know, 500 in the playoffs. Well, he'll be quite a bit above 500 if they get there, right? He's going to be, he's four and four. Now he'll be seven and four 
in, on Super Bowl Sunday if uh, they get there. And um, Buffalo worries me. Von Miller can be a pass rush all unto himself. And, um, you know, Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. And it's just, you know, the Buffalo Bills. Definitely the Buffalo Bills. I think the Niners could have beat, can beat the Ravens um, if they don't turn it over five times. Yeah. Um, but I, but I don't, you know, and I, I don't know if Buffalo gets to the winner's circle, they're going to have unfreaking believable momentum if they get to Super Bowl Sunday. So I'm going to say the Buffalo Bills. Ravens, Bills, did, you know, either one of them is a definite candidate for don't want. Let me just put two more in front of you. You don't want the Cleveland Browns on a heater. And even though they might not be who they used to be, Patrick Mahomes is enough of a magician to where in a big game with the best defense he's ever had, he's probably finding 24 points for you in a big game. So That's are you call. ready? To, yeah. Are you, are you ready to score at least 24 against the Kansas city chiefs? And that's a pretty good defense. So um, it, it's a very it's, good defense. It's a very yeah. good defense. But one thing I'll say about the chiefs and, and you know, people have been blaming and framing uh, their receivers as horrible all year. And they are, I mean, They've dropped a ton of balls, 25 from their wide receivers. They lead the NFL in drops, but their tackles have made tons of penalties. Mahomes has not had a stellar year. Travis Kelsey, despite being, you know, uh, you know, Taylor Swifted and all these people loving Travis Kelsey and knowing Travis Kelsey, it's ironic because he was, this was his down year really career wise. And I just think that, uh, you know, Kansas city has more problems offensively than just, their receivers don't catch the ball. Yeah. But, I'll, I'll uh, say this for Travis Kelsey too, who has looked a little bit older, slowed down a little bit more this year, especially at the end of the year. I think all those NFL reps eventually put a tax on your body. His body's paying that tax right now. There was nowhere to go, but down yeah. for Travis Kelsey. Like that's how good he was last year. He, he was borderline Jerry Rice last year. That's how dangerous and good he was in just the last couple of years. So, um, there was nowhere to go but down for Kelsey. And once you start looking at it this way, Larry, I got a really good work ethic. I do believe you you do as well. We work hard. If either one of our wives are billionaires or we were dating a billionaire, I bet you we'd work a little less hard. Just a little. Just a scotch, right? You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> it's human nature. It's human nature. You start looking at that exit plan. Not that Travis is looking at Taylor Swift as a meal ticket. Um, because he's got enough money to never run out of it in his own right. But, oh, my God. I mean, you know, what's the old uh, Marvin Hagler line? It's it's hard to go do your road work when you're sleeping in 10,000-count silk sheets. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's got a little something to do with it slowing down. But, look, you know, as, as we're watching with the Golden State Warriors, for so many athletes, when it's over, it feels like it comes to a screeching halt. You know, you think that you're going to get a good grace of a gradual downhill. You know, a lot of people to improve as athletes, there's a gradual uphill, you know, and not all, not all performance is linear, but it feels like a gradual uphill. And then when you get to the, the plateau of your career, you're lucky to ride out a few years at that all pro level. And then you think, okay, well, like any hill, it's going to be a gradual drop off on the other side. No, in sports, sometimes it goes boom. You're done. You you went from really good to cannot play. And, and we're seeing that in sports. We've seen it a million times. We'll see it a million times more. 
Um, again, this is why LeBron James might truly be the single greatest basketball player of all time, because nobody's done better in a one-on-one game against father time ever than LeBron has. Um, and it's just, you know, it, screeching halts are how so many careers end screeching halts. So I think Kelsey's doing a pretty good job battling his screeching halt. He's not there, but it feels like it could be coming. Um, it's been a hell of a week. A hell of a week for sports headlines, uh, coaching change, and it looks like we have our first official next guy up to report. All precincts are reporting that Jared Mayo is going to be named the next head coach in the New England Patriots, um, almost following in the D'Amico Ryan's footsteps, where D'Amico was, you know, he, he played for one team, he played really, really well for one team, he you know, comes back as the head coach of that team. Jared Mayo only played for the New England Patriots. He was an all pro. He won a Super Bowl with them. He has been a coach on that staff. All he knows is the Patriots. And it looks like he's the next guy up. That's a really good hire for the Patriots. And, you know, them them going with a defensive coach is the maybe, like, I thought that that would be the difference maker. Like, okay, so the Patriots really need to rev up this offense again. Maybe they're going to look for an offensive mind. But no, Jared Mayo is is the hire. Well, what they're looking for is they're trying to keep what they have, which is they've got a pretty good defense, and they want some continuity there. But let's make no mistake about it. I mean, they need a major overhaul offensively. It's a horrendous offensive football team. And, um you know, we'll see. We'll see who they hire as their offensive coaches and what they do at quarterback. I mean, they don't, they have the worst collection of offensive talent in football. Um, and so, but this allows them to, you know, not have chaos across both sides of the ball, right? So now, yes, Belichick rides off into the sunset, but there's continuity on defense and it's a defense that they like. Um, and so they'll stay with the same scheme and they'll have less turnover there, and they still got to sign Kyle Duggar. Uh, he's a free agent, so um, you know. So that and Josh Ushi. So they're you know they're arguably one of their best players in the back end, and one of their best players on the on the front have to be resigned. But if they can resign those key free agents and have Mayo step in for Belichick, they probably don't lose a uh, anything defensively. And then it's all about just improve their offense. So I think they're just. I don't know how it's going to work out, but. Um, you know, they leaned on Tom Brady. There's an awful lot of talk, too, that Josh McDaniels is going to find his way back to New England, and maybe there's some continuity there by having him come back. He failed miserably with the Raiders. He failed in Denver as a head coach. Some guys top out as coordinators, and I could see McDaniels coming back as the OC and, and uh, you know, trying, trying to go that route. So, obviously, you know, Kraft wants to go with people that they're comfortable with and that they know. And so um, McDaniels would make sense as the OC because he knows him. And obviously they, the continuity piece with Mayo. So we'll see how it works out. I think the Patriots are going to be bad for a while. Yeah, I, I do too. It's going to take them a while in an emerging AFC East. Bills aren't going anywhere. Dolphins are on the come. And, you know, uh, the Jets with a healthy quarterback are going to be a different animal than they were this year. So, yeah, it feels like the the Patriots have quite a bit of work to do before they get back to any New England Patriots status that threatens for you know championships quite like the way they used to. Um, it's 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 been a, a week of change in, in the NFL, and it leads us into 
Super Wild Card Weekend, which comes roaring in 1.30 West Coast Saturday on NBC. We get going with Browns and Texans. Feels like the Texans always get that first up on a Saturday slot, but they're happy to be there this time because you want to talk of, about ahead of schedule with a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach. Um, the Texans have a pretty darn good shot to beat the Browns, even though the Browns are are minus two in this game. Uh, I, I do think the Browns probably win this game. Stefanski's had a hell of a year keeping a team on track that's been dealing with injury and change everywhere. Uh, Browns and Texans is a very sneaky, interesting game. Even though it's our first up, it's one of the most interesting of the entire weekend. Yeah, I mean, you got a rookie quarterback going against the number one defense in football. So, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, I like I like the Browns to to win this game, even though Houston will be at home. Houston, it's amazing the difference between the this Texans team with that rookie receiver from Houston, uh, Tank Dell, and when he's been out. They, you know, their twenty yard plays have gone down. They still have good receivers, Nico Collins, Noah Brown. I think Robert Woods is hurt in this game. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this is going to be a good football game, but I like the Browns, you know, the Browns have, have great players though. The one thing that's kind of late breaking on this, uh, on this story is that Denzel Ward is dinged up now and Denzel Ward is, is, is like 50, 50. I think he's questionable, uh, to play in this game and that could hurt. That yeah. could hurt, uh, the Browns quite a bit, but, um, yeah, he's questionable. And the one thing about the Browns and Joe Flacco they do turn it over a lot, you know, but they also take the ball away. They got JOK, uh, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa in the in the middle, and uh, he's a as good a linebacker as I think there is right now. And then, of course, Miles Garrett might be the best defensive lineman in football. So, um, I like I like uh, I like the Browns. I you know I like the Browns to to. I think the Browns are going to be, you know, like they're not going to win it all, and they're not going to the Super Bowl but they're going to be that story in the early part of the playoffs. I think there's a, I think they win this game and I think there's a very good chance they knock off the Ravens. Then you better be ready to let your peacock plumage out because you got to go over to peacock to watch dolphins and chiefs. Again, that is a big, big game to put behind a paywall on a Saturday, but that's how they're going to get you to sign up for Peacock because if you're a football fan, you have to watch Dolphins and Chiefs and what you know it, they're saying is going to be like six-degree weather at Arrowhead. It's going to be bone-chilling, and we know how poorly historically Miami's done uh, when, when, when the temperature drops below freezing for them in any road game. Dolphins, Chiefs, do you give Josh McDaniel a puncher chance at, at Arrowhead? No. No, I don't. Um, I mean, you know, they, they just signed Bruce Irvin. They just signed, um, you know, Houston. I mean, they lost Bradley Chubb, who had a great year. And, you know, they, they lost Jalen Phillips. And then they had Van Ginkle as their third defensive end. Now he's out. There's going to be no Jerome Baker. So you can make an argument that four of their top five defensive players are out in this game. Two is not reading coverage. I think this is the easiest cover of the weekend. Take the Chiefs, give the three and a half points, um, and don't think twice. Mahomes is nine and two at home in the playoffs. Uh, Miami hasn't won a playoff game since you know two thousand or something like that. I mean, it's go. You got to go way back. 
they were competitive last year in the cold weather against uh, Buffalo, but this year I think they're going to fold like a cheap suit. Tyreek Hills returned to Arrowhead unless he has like a 200-yard game. I don't know how the Dolphins do it. Um, we move on to Sunday, and you want to talk about I don't know how they do it because if they were to do it, it was going to be with an overwhelming defensive effort, and I don't know how the Steelers can have an overwhelming defensive effort with neither Micah Parsons nor T.J. Watt playing, and neither of those guys are going to go for the Steelers at the Bills, 10 a.m. West Coast time, CBS, Sunday morning. Steelers at the Bills. It feels like Bills in a romp. They're minus 10, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be freezing. The one thing that's a little scary in this game is, um, you know, I, I, I may tease this down with the under just simply because it's a low it's a low number. Um, so I may tease it up and then go under. But, I, you know, it's 10 is a lot because it could be a very low scoring game. The weather is going to be horrible. Like they're saying, Damon, there may be like 40 or 50 mile an hour winds. So. That should favor the Steelers from the standpoint of if it's a run only kind of a game, you know, they've got uh, Warren and Najee, some power backs, you know, they, they might be able to stay in this game a little bit, but Minka's nowhere near 100%. There's no TJ Watt. Um, the Bills are, are peaking. Wait, nowhere um, near, do you, are you saying that Fitzpatrick is going to play? Because what I read this earlier this week was that he was out. I heard last night that he's going to try to give it a go. He he hasn't practiced though in weeks. Okay, so I I, I like Buffalo. I like Buffalo big in that game. I do, but too. I don't know. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. So like, if you told me that the Bills won that game, um, seventeen three, I could see it. What if I told you that the Dallas Cowboys lost their first home game of the year in the wild card round to the Green Bay Packers? fired Mike McCarthy when the game was over and went and hired Bill Belichick as their next head coach. What do you think of that? Bill Belichick and the Dallas Cowboys after McCarthy gets fired after dropping his, his, his playoff opener at home. The green, this is the one where people Niner fans are going to, if, if green Bay pulls the upset, people are going to be like, Oh yes, yes. Dallas, Dallas is, uh, is, is done. But in reality, that means green Bay comes to San Francisco and Green Bay is, I think, going to be a tougher opponent for the Niners to beat than Dallas. Green, Dallas can't stop the run. And Green Bay's got, you know, a lot of good weapons uh, in the past game. Um, I like Green Bay. I'll take Green Bay in those points all day, every day. They've got really young weapons. They're one of the youngest teams to make it to the playoffs in decades. They're so young that they don't realize what, what they're doing and where they're at. And the real reason I love Green Bay is that their D-line is really playing ball right now. When I say their D-line, I'm talking about Devontae Wyatt, Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark, Carl Brooks. These guys are all sacking the quarterback, and they're opportunistic on the back end with Savage and Jair Brown, or Jair Alexander, I should say. And um, Jair's right, Larry. Yeah, yeah, I got to get my Jair's right, but I, I, I love, uh, I love, uh, uh, you know, Dallas is a Dallas has played the easiest schedule, and they took apart every bad team by an average of thirty points a game. So people look at that point differential and their record at home and go, "Oh, Dallas is a freaking juggernaut at home," and this and that. No, they beat the Commanders, they beat Patriots, they beat all these dog meat teams. 
Green Bay, Jordan Love in his last eight games has 18 touchdowns and one pick. And their young young uh, uh, position player talent from are their uh, you know, skilled guys, Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, uh, Christian Watson's playing in this game, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Romeo Dobbs. They still have Aaron Jones. Give me Green Bay. I'm taking Green hey, Bay all day. Brian Gutekunst is building a monster in Green Bay. Everybody talks about Detroit, Detroit, Detroit. It's Green Bay. Green Bay is going to be that team that's coming. Um, and, um, uh, you know, there's still a future play as far as the Super Bowl is concerned, but they're going to be good enough to say goodbye to Dallas. And I think McCarthy, uh, the McCarthy era ends this weekend. It'd be interesting to see what kind of game Aaron Jones has. He's questionable right now. I bet he does play. The, the running back with the most yards, I think, is the running back who wins that game. You know, Jones or Pollard, who's it going to be? So it's 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 it should be a hell of a game. That is on Fox, five o'clock NBC. If you would like a wild card game with drama and storylines dripping all over it, it is the Lions who are hosting their first playoff game in thirty years, and of course, it's Matthew Stafford who is coming in to ruin that party. Wow, uh, we of course have the. Uh, you know, Jared Goff tied to the Rams and he's in Detroit. Now there are, there's, there's so much back and forth on these rosters and the quarterback positions alone. Um, Rams and lions. It feels like the Rams are the, the popular choice here. I almost hope it's the lions, Larry. I want to see the Detroit lions win a home playoff game just to hear what that sounds like in Detroit. Uh, my gut is with the Lions. My head is with the Rams. I like the over. Nobody, Nobody's going to stop anybody in this game. This is going to be a shootout. Day, by the way, 51 and a half. Yeah, I would, I would, that's another one. I would tease it down and go over. Uh, the, the, um, the Lions are 25th in the league in yards per game allowed through the air. And the Rams come in throwing the heck out of the ball. But that atmosphere is going to be crazy. I think golf's going to have a great game. Um, I don't think the Rams can stop the Lions, but I don't think the Lions can stop the Rams. And I think the crowd's going to be going nuts. The Rams are a one-third of a team. Their special teams are putrid. Their defense is just passable. They're only an offensive team. The Lions are a complete football team that's just not quite ready to roll. And they're miss Laporta in this game. They're saying he's going to go. No. Yeah, they're saying he's going to go. They're saying oh, he's going to go. Now, I don't believe he's going to be much of a factor, but I think you know he's a tough ass. He's going to he's going to he's going to give it a shot. Um, but I just like Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery running the ball. I think Dan Campbell is going to have a great game plan. I think they're going to play ball control. They're going to they're going to dominate the time of possession. They're going to keep the Rams offense on the sidelines and the Lions are going to find a way to beat the Rams um, in, in Detroit. So I like the Lions in that game. I think the crowd carries them. As I said, I just think the Lions are, are a complete football team that's a year ahead of its schedule. The Rams are one-third of a football team. So I'll take the complete football team over the one-third team. doesn't matter if you have one ass cheek and three toes. I will beat your ass. Okay, thank you very much, Coach Campbell. <laughs> and then, Larry, we That's wrap awesome. up Wild Card Weekend on a Monday night where you can't put more pressure on a football team and a head coach 
than is on the Eagles and Nick Sirianni to stop the free fall that they've been in about the last six weeks since they played the Niners. Everything around the Eagles is bad and negative, and they're going to Tampa Bay to take on a Buccaneers team, which nobody's talking about. If yeah, Tom Brady, if Tom Brady were still the quarterback, oh, Buccaneers would be a, a huge story. But because it's Baker Mayfield, they're as under the radar as any playoff team. I guarantee you, most football fans, if we asked them, name every single team playing this wild card weekend, I bet you the most football fans would leave the Buccaneers out of it. They're forgotten. They're hidden in plain sight. I think they beat the Eagles. Yeah, I do too. Um, and this could be the end of the Sirianni era. Unbelievable, but I think it's very possible. The Eagles are coming apart at the seams. They did get one team here in Tampa that they might be able to handle, but you just got housed by the New York Giants. You just lost at home to the Arizona Cardinals. Now you're going to roll into Tampa and with your lousy pass defense and, and mediocre pass rush, you're somehow going to beat a team that has Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. No. I'll take Tampa. I like Tampa in that game. Um, the Eagles are favored. The wrong team's favored. That's all based on rep. I'll take Tampa in those. And and you're getting two and a half in Tampa. You're getting, I think, the better team. Um, you know, it would take the Eagles to get off the canvas and really show something here. And um, I don't think they're. I don't think they're capable. I think their problems are real. Not only that, every week that goes by, their problems get worse. Their pass defense has been bad all year. Their pass rush is not great. And recently, they're not stopping the run either. So I'm not that Tampa's got a great runner, but I like Tampa at home to get that done. I do too. And that brings us to the conclusion of our what's coming up during Super Wild Card Weekend, which means, Larry, it's official. We have achieved and we have reached. Every time I play that, Ray Ratto dies just a little bit inside. He hated that so much. Um, so there Where it is, is Ray these days. I don't know. I do not. I don't know. I, I haven't reached out to him in 2024 yet. Uh, he, he will eventually make the show reluctantly at some point, I would imagine. Um, or maybe not. Maybe he's deleted my number from his phone and we'll never hear from Ray again. We just don't by the, by the way, if uh, we're talking about Belichick's next spot, what do you think of Philly? Roster loaded and ready to go. Um, you got a GM in place. He doesn't have to be the GM. It's in the Northeast. He's obviously comfortable living in the Northeast. Um, it's not that far away from New England. He's got some pieces on defense. You know, they need to retool their secondary in the worst way. If there is there a better person on the planet to help you retool your past defense than Bill Belichick? Probably not. Uh, way, I, I, uh, I think Belichick and Philly make a lot of sense. Johnny F. Groove says Ray was on KNBR yesterday. Oh, well, no wonder why we haven't heard him and can't find him. <laughs> He's hiding in plain sight. Did he stay um, awake? Yeah. So there you go. Uh, there is your wild card weekend preview. And now I guess, Larry, we've officially reached the point in the show where it's time to check out some of the comments that have come through. Uh, well, first of all, let's announce the all-pro team. There's five Niners on the all-pro team and two Niners on the second team all-pro team. So here's the all-pro team. 
And this is the AP All-Pro team. This is not the NFLPA All-Pro team. Okay. This was selected by national panel of 50 media members. So this is the actual All-Pro team for this season. At quarterback, Lamar Jackson. At running back, Christian McCaffrey. And this there's only one guy per per uh, league. I mean, it, it's both conferences. At fullback, Kyle Huschek. At tight end, not Taylor Swift's boyfriend, George Kittle. At wide receiver, Tyreek Hill, C.D. Lamb, Amon Ra St. Brown. Amon Ra finally gets some recognition. For a guy who didn't make the Pro Bowl, being all pro is something else. Yeah, and it's happened a few times before. Left tackle, Trent Williams. Left guard, Joe Thune, Kansas City. Center, Jason Kelsey, Philadelphia. Right guard, Zach Martin, Dallas. Right tackle, Panay Sewell, Detroit. He's a monster. We flip the card. We go to defense. Edge rushers, Miles Garrett and TJ Watt. Interior linemen, Aaron Donald and Chris Jones. Linebackers, three of them. Fred Warner, Roquan Smith, Quincy Williams of the Jets. Corner, Sauce Gardner and Deron Bland. Slot corner, Trent McDuffie, Kansas City. Safeties, Kyle Hamilton, Antoine Winfield Jr. Another guy that missed out on the Pro Bowl, unbelievably. Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, Place kicker, the rookie, Brandon Aubrey of Dallas. The punter, A.J. Cole of the Raiders. The kick returner, Kayshawn Nixon of the Packers. The punt returner, Rashid Shaheed. New Orleans special teamer Miles Killebrew, Pittsburgh long snapper Ross Matisic, Jacksonville. Pepper got screwed. There you go. And as far as the second teamers, uh, the highlights, we won't give you the whole second team unit, but um, on the second team unit, um, it says at wide receiver AJ Brown, Puka Nakua, asterisk, Brandon Ayuk. Um, asterisk Mike Evans. I'm not sure what the asterisk is for. Let me see if it says at the bottom. Asterisk means tied for the second team spot. So there you go. Okay. So yeah, it was. Uh, oh, so so Puka and um, Ayuk tied. You know, Bucko Sports picks out something here on the text line that immediately hit my ear too. Are you telling me that Micah Parsons is not an All Pro? Right. Well, uh, not a first team All Pro. He's a second team All Pro. Okay. Second team all pro is Micah Parsons, but I should say uh, Ayuk actually is not an asterisk. Oh yeah, it is. I it's Ayuk and Evans both got the asterisk, so they're both on the second team all pro list. Other Niners on the second team all pro list include um, Charvarius Ward. Charvarius so Ward deserves it. He absolutely deserved it. it. To me, that would have been a huge oversight. Fred Warner. Did you say he's on first team? First all team, pro? first team okay. all pro. Five Niners, first team all pro. Two Niners, second team all pro. Uh, there you go. Seven combined first or second team all pros for the 49ers. All right. Now it's time for. Now it's officially time. Let's get into the super chats. What do you got, Larry? Well, we read this one before. Ricky Williams, we lost Adam to the Commanders. Adam Peters is now with the Washington Commanders. If you're joining us late, didn't hear it earlier. Adam Peters out of the Niners front office. Bob Myers gets his guy. Kilo TW. Should the Niners be worried about the ran about the rain next week? It's going to be raining all next weekend. Um, 
I don't think so. The Niners are a team that can has an exceptionally strong running game. So, um, you know, um, just makes things a little bit more random. But no, I, I, I you know, it's not candlestick where it's going to be a quagmire. The turf at Levi's is pretty solid. So I think it might hold up, actually. Um, I don't think that should be a concern. Like the teams that can't run would be the teams that really have to be concerned in the rain. J.J. Raider says, you're crazy, Larry. You're crazy. Sure, that was my Belichick point. That was the Belichick point, absolutely. Brady Hill says, what are some things in the CFL you like opposed to the NFL? Um, I, I like the three downs in the CFL where you're thinking pass, pass, pass all the time. Um, so you, it makes you be a more – you're trying to score on every play in the Canadian League. And I'll say this, I think in a wider field, which the CFL has the wider field, um, there's the, it highlights the athleticism more. So you have, you know, it's, it's, it's more emphasis on movement and less emphasis on just brute force. So these gigantic fat bodies that play defensive tackle or offensive guard in the CFL, you got to have movement ability because it's just a wider field. So I, I, that's what I like. I don't think that there's, any need for the NFL to adapt a, a single element of CFL football, a deeper end zone to give you more room to operate might increase red zone scoring. Um, That's interesting. Maybe, maybe make red, red, red zone pass attempts go up and, 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 and a little bit more exciting to me that the, the only pre-snap the only motion. I mean, like you can move towards the line of scrimmage in the CFL pre-snap. Right. I would say that the only sport that needs to grow its playing surface is the NBA. Yeah. The too NBA many... needs to grow its court. The players have become too big. Well, not like that. I mean, how many and when we were when we were kids, or even when we were teenagers, even when we were in our twenties, nobody hardly ever stepped out of bounds. You can't watch ten minutes of an NBA game without somebody stepping on the baseline. Right. On you know, it's like every and this pace and space era of basketball. You know, people want to stay spread out so badly. Well, as soon as you get the ball on the perimeter and you make a drive to the hoop, that back foot steps out of bounds. I mean, it happens so so often that it's it's almost ridiculous. By the um, way, could you imagine pre-snap motion towards the line of scrimmage being allowed? Can you imagine if Tyreek Hill got a running head start on you? How, how do you even defend that? Oh, I know. It'd be absolutely amazing. Uh, Florida Niner fanatics is Kyle Huschek. Love the show. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. I, I'm glad Kyle Huschek got a random shout out there. Don't know what part of the show. Probably a vote. It was a vote. It was a vote for probably, you know, underrated. most improved, like, underrated, yeah. something like that. Bruce R. Who's in the chat all the time says, happy birthday, Larry. Appreciate the Niners coverage. Think it will be weekend upsets prediction. Texans, Dolphins, Steelers, Rams, Eagles. Wow. Steelers to beat the Bills in Buffalo. Well, Dolphins to beat Chiefs in KC. Wow. Bruce. All I can tell you, Larry, is we always get at least, what, two road wins, right? Isn't that kind of the formula? You always get a couple of road wins here. So, you know, Browns is kind of expected. We need someone then to join the upset parade. Dolphins I think Green Bay. I think Green Bay is that team. Right. And then, honestly... The Eagles are probably that team, too. The Eagles should be that team, right? The Eagles should go to Tampa and win, but they might not. <laughs> yeah, let's hope they don't. Because um, I want to see Sirianni just seriously. I'd love to see Sirianni fired after how smug 
he was earlier this year. Uh, 49er fan LA says the difference this time around is we finally have a legit quarterback. His confidence is unmatched. He really believes he's the best. Just play mistake free. That's a good observation. And the last one here, JJ Raider. Happy birthday, Larry. Thank you, JJ. Appreciate you, brother. Um, good stuff, Damon. There was one topic that my friend Kyle Posey wrote a great story on Niners Nation. And I would encourage you. It's a very, it's a short story. Um, kind of like a Jack London short story. No, but um, the uh, which unit do you have more faith in for the 49ers heading into the playoffs? The Niners offense or the Niners defense? It's not, it's not a bad uh, little topic right there. What do you think? Well, I have more faith in the Niners offense than I've had ever before, just based on they got their quarterback, they got the playmakers, and they've got the running back to do it all, and they've had the point totals, and I just think that Kyle Shanahan with a script coming out has been deadly all year. I mean, the 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 10 touchdowns on opening drives in 17 games, the most amount of points scored in the NFL on opening drives, that all goes into the mix of, of why I would choose this offense. Again, the defense is good enough. That offense is as dangerous as I think we've seen it in the Shanahan era. Yeah, I would, I would say I have more belief in the offense and the defense. Um, but I'll say this with the 49ers having rest, I think rest is a big part of it. Um, I mentioned well, to Fred Warner, right? Missed tackles, missed tackles is probably the biggest ramification of an unrested Niner team. So rest, if rest truly equals that you could draw a straight parallel line between rested and tackling proficiency, then the Niners are about to whip some ass. <laughs> By the way, the San Francisco Giants have agreed to a four-year, $44 million contract with free agent right-hander Jordan Hicks. I like that's a, this. That's a good I, deal. That's a Well, I like this one because this guy throws smoke. He does. I mean, you got Jordan Hicks as a 27-year-old throwing smoke in front of Doval. 11 like million that. a year? That's it? 11 million a year. 44 mil for Jordan Hicks. I like that addition a lot. I'll be doing a video on that when this is over. Um, yeah, I really like that. That's a great one. At first, I was thinking, is it, you talking about the Yankee outfielder? But that's Aaron Hicks. Uh, Jordan Hicks, yes. I was like, they either, <laughs> they just overpaid dramatically for an outfielder coming off a nightmare year. No, it's the, it's the hard-throwing former Cardinal right-handed reliever who throws what 106 or something like that? Look, the only shot I did think he hit 104 on the clock for sure, maybe 106. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. But, that is smoke, dude. Um, I, I love that. I love I love guys um, throwing super hard out of the pen because guess what? When you throw that hard, you can miss in the middle of the plate and it's okay. Get away with it. Yeah. Well, and and look, if the Niners are going to have, or excuse me, if the Giants are going to have any shot. Of just remaining and forget about competing. Better shut if they're, it going down. To, if they're going to have a summer that even invites you to pay a little bit of attention, they got to be pitching, 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 pitching. And it's time for them to absolutely just go out and overpay for Snell. 
Go get Cody Bellinger, by the way. I don't want to be pitching, 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 pitching. I want to be hitting, 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 hitting. But here's the, hitting that, that that ship has sailed. That's not going to happen. You can get Reese Hoskins right now. You can get you can, the Cody Bellinger right now. I mean, Forhan, what's your aversion to dangerous hitters? Get, here's what get he, one. They're going to have to. The reason why I like the Hicks. You got to keep trying, though. I, I know what you're right. saying, Damon. I agree with your premise, which is be good on the mound. But you still got to score some runs, man. They you do. Still got to score some runs. Here's the thing: the best way for the Giants to win is to really be that team that's playing seven inning games. Yeah, get a oh, lead. Yeah. You get have a to shut it down when you lead in the yeah, seven. Exactly. You get it, more than five blown saves this year means the Giants aren't going to the postseason. And by the way, they're not going to the postseason anyways. So. <laughs> We're going to the postseason before they're going to the postseason. A uh, strawberry reacts as man. Larry's a closet Packer fan. No, you know what I am though. I'm a I'm a, a keen observer of personnel momentum because I really think that's that's what people don't notice. They don't know all the talent, and so people don't know when a team's just pretty good or when they have legitimate personnel momentum. And Brian Gutekunst uh, is the GM there in Green Bay. He's a very good young GM, and they have personnel momentum. And I know it. Now you know it. And this weekend, the Cowboys are going to know it. And Mike McCarthy is going to be, you know, going to unfortunately be the guy who knows it up close because it's going to cost him his gig. And let's face it, Gudikinst was the recipient of an awful lot of bad press because he was the guy who had to hand Aaron Rodgers his walking papers. And there was a massive public pushback from Rodgers himself. Goody he can, traded up for Jordan Love. A lot of people ripped him for that, but now Jordan Love's coming of age. You know, right. looking looking like a Rodgers or a Favre. So right, it's 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 all coming into focus, and Lafleur knows what he's doing. So yeah, it's Packers are the the, the demise of the Green Bay Packers and the seeding of the NFC North to just the Lions and the Vikings has been a bit over exaggerated. Um, Green Bay is the best organization in that division. No doubt. No, and doubt. I think Lions and Packers battle for that thing for the next five, six years. And what a mistake I believe the Chicago Bears made by retaining Matt Eberflus. I just, I, I don't get it. You're either going to have a defensive coordinator, a defensive, a defensive coach presiding over the all-important third year of Justin Fields, or you're moving off of Justin Fields and you're taking a QB number one in the draft and you're leaving. So Eberflus is unqualified to either take that next step with Fields or groom the next quarterback, and he remains the head coach. I don't get what Chicago is doing. I that, That's a poorly run organization and has been for decades. I never liked Eberflus. I, I told Tom, I told Tate, you know, Eberflus needs like double Amici's with more sausage and, 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 and garlic. Definitely extra garlic for Eberflus. I wrote down one name and it was not Eberflus. <laughs> Here we are. Peace. <laughs>